Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. My name is Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. And today we are sitting down with our good friend, Captain Lou. Welcome back to Kick Out 299, Lou. And welcome to the first episode of our new monthly show, where we're going to sit down with all kinds of guests and have a different discussion as it pertains to Paresu every month. So you are our illustrious first guest, and we are very, very happy to have you on. Um, If you could please go ahead, introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and where they can find your work. Hi, everyone. You might know me from Twitter as Captain Lou. Uh, I write wrestling reviews and assorted scientific research on happywrestlingland.com. You might have heard me before on Kickout. Uh, happy to be here and to discuss Pro Wrestling Noah. Yeah, and today we are discussing Pro Wrestling Noah, specifically about the Rogoku Koku Geekon show that occurred on May 4th, Noah Majestic 2023. And we will be also discussing the ever-relevant I Am Noah storyline, sort of as like a mid-year check-in. check We call this uh, I Am Noah 2.5, uh, sort of between all of us, but uh, we just want to check in on the major storylines and major players in the promotion. So looking specifically at the Rogoku show, uh, first off, how did you guys enjoy the show? (laughs) We should probably touch on that, like just overall. I thought it was a very good show. Um, Wrestling wise, I think every match, there wasn't anything bad wrestling wise. I thought there were some weird uh, inconsistencies in the booking or presentation that I guess we'll get into later. Uh, but if I were to like give it a, a grade, it would be like a, a passing grade. It would be a, a solid, good grade, enjoyable show. And the, the one thing that stuck with me was how invested the crowd was into like everything, like great crowd reactions for everyone, every match. Uh, I think that's the big positive coming out of uh, of this show for me. What about you, Alicia? Yeah, I agree largely with everything Lou has touched on. I think that it's a tremendous win that the fans are are really, really into this product right now. It's always a good sign. These are loud crowds, very behind a lot of these guys, which is great. I think that this show um boasted several very 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 good matches um and then for better or for worse this really is um as an entire show a really good snapshot of what the product of pro wrestling noah is now um and again that's for better or for worse we can talk about the pluses and we can also talk about the the negatives of that as well um in terms of like noah's identity as a product um in Japan, um, but also on the world stage as well. So there's some some good stuff, but there's also some stuff that I'm extremely unsure about. So um, a lot to take away from this, um, good and bad, but I think that will add to the conversation that we're going to have today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's pretty much exactly where I am too, is that there was good, there was bad. There were a lot of things I really enjoyed. I came out of the show very energized, which is always very, very fun. Um, But yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of, a lot of Noah in this show. And, and that's where I'm going to leave it at. Cause I think you said it best, Alicia, is that it's a very good snapshot of where Noah is and sort of speaking of on the global stage and uh, just stages in general, 
Um, I found it interesting that this show was sectioned off the same way that the Muto show was, including an intermission between each stage. Um, and I actually watched the show live. I, I don't think either of you did, but um, this time you had the pre-show or the starting battle, the premium stage, and then the last um, the last section was the global stage. So I wanted to know if this format resonated with you the same way that it did with the Mudo show, because I know in our Mudo review um, episode, we did talk about it a little bit. So I wanted to know if you sort of even noticed that formatting at all and, and what you thought about it. For, for me, I had no issue with the format. I think it worked well. Um, I guess my main issues would be uh, when you look at the undercard of that show, uh, I guess, as Alicia mentioned, there's always that sense of Noah looking for its identity. Uh, I think that search of identity was very clear on the undercard where it felt, and the matches weren't bad or anything, but it felt very un-Noah-like for some reason. And um, it was weird to me because this is one of their like biggest shows of the year. They don't come to a real Goku that often. So you would think they would want to crank up the Noah factor to, to the max. And the undercards uh, didn't seem like that to me. So yeah, I, I think with the stages, I frankly forgot or did not realize about the stages on this show because I watched the matches like in the order that I wanted to watch them. Um, so I I lost track of it in that way. Um, so I was I, I learned of that through um, frankly reading your outline, Rachel. So thank you for reminding me of the fact that they even attempted this again after the Mudo show. Um, I don't even remember what I even said about the stages in the Mudo show. I do remember being like awake and like watching live for the Mudo show and also very nervous during the Mudo show because we were just constantly like anticipating the like AGPW versus like um Noah Congo stuff. So like I remember like the breaks feeling like kind of long and stuff during that. Um so yeah I, I guess with the stages here um and being able to look back on them now um I don't know if that formatting I guess is gonna make like sense in the long run especially when you look at like the global stage like what about any of that is global like what does the global say to you about the matches that they put in the global stage of things what about that is global what does that say um so i think that's the part that is the branding of all of that it seems a little bit confusing to me like i don't really know what they're trying to say um with those things i think it did make sense with how they were attempting things for um the muto show but like i didn't really see in reviewing it after the fact, I didn't really see the the point, I guess, to them. I don't know how much any of that stuff really adds, but I, I know, I guess they're trying to, to make these shows feel like a very big deal. And certainly this show felt like a big Noah show. So I guess in that way, if that's what they were going for, that's maybe they accomplished that, but I just don't really see in the long run, like what this adds and what the point is and maybe what the messaging is. Yeah, I feel the same. I think um, I remember when we did have Justin on for that Mudo show review, he mentioned that the stages were to keep a lot of the global viewers in mind and give them breaks. Um, so it might resonate more or, or be more obvious when we're watching live. But otherwise, I really 
didn't think that there was much point to it. Um, for me at my time zone, having a break is a little dangerous because I just am tempted to fall asleep. Um, so <laughs> there's, I think there's a lot of give and take there and, and it's definitely an interesting concept. Um, but what I really wanted to go back to was what Lou was saying about the undercard sort of searching for Noah's identity, because that just really um, hit me. It was really interesting because you do get quite a few, um, I almost want to say experimental, but I think non-Noah-esque matches are a really good way to phrase it um, in this stage, um, the premium stage. So that would be the middle after the uh, the two pre-matches. Um Particularly, I think starting off, I want to talk about the women's matches. At their last big show on April 16th, that would be Green Journey, we had Noah's very first singles match between two women with Natsu Sumire versus Maya Yukihi. And then this month at Noah Majestic boasted a big tag match between four freelancers, and that would be Natsu Sumire and Ryo Mizunami versus Maya Yukihi and Saki. Um, all of which are extremely talented women. But um, I think this sort of is interesting because this isn't traditionally Noah um, and it's very different and it feels like that, you know, sort of experimental search for identity in Noah. So I'm really glad Lou brought that up, but I really want to know what your thoughts are um, both on this match in general and then sort of how Noah is using this, um, these Joshi and how they're booking these matches. I like the match. I liked uh, Mizunami's was so great here. She's so charismatic. She was having so much fun. Uh, she's a contagious performer. She just, she just has that aura about her, just fun to watch. Uh, I had no issues with the match. Uh, I, the one thing I couldn't shake off was I think a lot of people notice that in the last year or two, there's a trend of Noah being a bit like, if New Japan do something, <laughs> we're, we're going to follow up and do the same thing in very different aspects, whether it's the, the Joshi invite matches or just loading up the cards with as many foreign wrestlers as possible. There's clearly a trend there and that was a spot in the show where I guess you could feel it. Uh, also in the way they booked the foreigner wrestlers. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, yeah, I, I just couldn't shake off the Noah trying to be New Japan feeling. Uh, but for the match was cool, really cool. I had no issue with the match. This has been like troubling me for a bit. And I think it's because, uh, and I'll preface this by saying that, like, I love the way, for example, All Japan has been using um, uh, Joshi wrestlers on their cards. I think that those intergender matches in All Japan, um, if you're listening to this and you're not watching All Japan, um, there's been a handful of those intergender matches um, on the on their cards since I think December was our first one, I think, for the, for the Christmas Eve show. And then we've had, I think, two more since then. And they've been fantastic and extremely well booked and like just really a great, like different thing on those cards. And like Suama also has um Evolution Girls, which is like just starting up. He has like his own Joshi, like separate, like complete company. Like that's definitely in the background um of things happening in all Japan as well. And I've really liked what they've been doing. I think what gives me a lot of pause when we're talking about like these women, women's matches and Noah, there's the conversation happening in the background of like women's division slash um, a 
women's belt. And what gives me, I guess, pause around that is, um, I don't know. I, I just, I don't really know how I feel about that. I mean, I think that this match was really fun. I also like the match that we saw, I guess one of the last, we saw a great, you know, some great stuff on the dome show. And I think um, there's been another, it was like uh, the Muta retirement show had a women's match that was really good. Um, I think all the women's matches we've seen on Noah's card have been really good, but it just gives me like this feeling that if they go towards like a division or like just having this belt, I don't really know who this is for. Like who, who is this being before? Is this being booked for Western fans that are so used to having a couple women's matches on a show and then the rest are for the men? Um, it feels very AEW to me. It feels like it's appealing to, um, or even like WWE, it just feels like it's, it's appealing towards a certain type of fan that they think they need to be speaking to on this. Um, there's great, um, women's wrestling promotions that you can go watch and you can watch those matches if you, um, are interested in those, um, in those companies. So that's where I, I just get kind of confused and about like who this is appealing to. And especially my, my issue with it really centrally is, Noah has enough issues booking their guys correctly and focusing on the people they need to be working with and elevating the guys that they need to work on. And we're going to talk extensively about the issues that we see in things like the, the heavyweight tag division here in Noah and like other, other things. It's like, do we, do they even have the the bandwidth to book an entire new division um, and give a belt to these women? And again, I, like, I don't know who this is for. Like, it's great to see some of these matches. And again, I love the way that all Japan has formatted um, those matches. And, you know, we're not heading towards a women's belt or division in all Japan because they have evolution girls, which has nothing to do with all Japan. It's just like Suwama's Joshi <laughs> company that he started. Um, but like, I like the way that that's all kind of panning out. I don't necessarily know uh, what to expect and, and really how to feel about like what they're trying to do potentially with um, uh, a women's division in Noah. I don't, I, I genuinely don't know how to feel about that. Um, Mara Fuji was tweeting about how, you know, I wish I had the tweet in front of me to really like give you a better breakdown, but he was really relating this to how uh, he's still Noah right now. This is a, uh, this is Mara Fuji's Noah. And if they're going to make this decision, like this is really on him. It was him really like leaning into freedom and faith and like taking accountability for a decision that could be made. Um, if they make this decision, it is, it is part of Mara Fuji's Noah. And he was really like taking accountability for that, which I found really compelling and really interesting. And I know he puts a lot of thought into things like this, but again, I, I don't know who is asking for this. I don't know um, who this is meant to be appealing um, to. And that is really my, my biggest um my biggest problem with this beyond again, I don't know if they have the bandwidth to even book their own guys like thoroughly <laughs> most of the time, let alone start a whole new division. So yeah. Um, and again, like to lose point about uh, competing with new Japan. I mean, I don't even think they can like, it's like, cause new Japan is, you know, it, they've they're you, they're using stardom sometimes. Um, but that's just because like Bushi road owns both of them, right? Like it's an entirely separate company that sometimes partners with them for cards. It's like, Noah doesn't even have the capacity to really do that. Right. So I don't know. I have, I have extremely mixed feelings, but I do like some of these matches. I just really don't know what they're going to do with it long-term. It's pretty much how I feel. Um, I actually do like that they are calling on freelance wrestlers rather than relying on the TJPW girls, um, because we do have a, a sister ish company, um, more kind of like a cousin, but um, the, we do have a, a company under the Cyberfight umbrella for Joshi. Uh, fantastic company, by the way. Uh, but 
Noah is calling on these freelancers who um, do fit. I think they do fit a lot of ways. Noah's roster vibe, more or less. They're very um, mature, fun, you know, um, exciting, but still hard hitting. Like Maya Yukihi hits like a truck. I love seeing her. Um, Saki, I think, is dead talented. I sang her praises on our last episode of Talking Triple Crown. Um, Natsumire has like this sort of sexy hostess kind of cabaret club vibe. There, there's a lot of really um, interesting vibes that they're calling on with the uh, women they're booking. And like I said, they are all freelancers. So it's really great to see these women going out and making a name for themselves, not attached to a company and getting paid. That's kind of where my line is. It's like, oh, I'm really glad these girls are getting paid. Um, but uh, I think it is very interesting that you actually both brought up um, this point of we don't know who this is for and it feels like they're competing with new japan because what i'm seeing a lot of the times not to just make this all about you know capital t capital d twitter discourse um i'm seeing a lot of the people who talk about this women's division you know chatter are usually holding it over new japan like oh this match went longer than five minutes like in the new japan show and things like that so it really does seem like a lot of the western audience is attaching themselves to this idea of competition with new japan which isn't the worst thing on earth because we can't have monopolies you know having a competition having something that can compete with new japan is good but is it noah <laughs> And it doesn't feel like it is Noah at its core. It feels like it's trying almost too hard to be competition for New Japan. So there, there's a lot of, I think it comes down to what Lou said, identity issues, right? Like that's that's really what it feels like for me is that they want to be this competition. We need competition. We can't have monopolies because then the industry will suffer. But is Noah holding true to its identity while doing this? And that's the big overarching question. So um, to that end, I'm really, really glad you mentioned Marafuji's comments on, you know, this is Marafuji's Noah. So that um, sort of pulls it back and really brings forth, like you said, it's compelling, brings forth that question of, is this Noah's identity? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like the thing is, I, I... I am susceptible to Namichi Marafuji telling us, like, I am making a decision. This is my Noah. And, like, because the thing is, I mean, we'll get into this later when we talk about him and Jake, but it's so refreshing to see him, to see him say that with his whole chest, say, this is my Noah. This is Marafuji's Noah. We're not, we're no longer talking about Misawa's Noah. This is not Misawa's Noah anymore. This is Marafuji's Noah. And I am making a decision while I am still here. I am Noah. This is my decision. And I think that he struggled with that for so long because he had to stand um, in Misawa's shadow even after his passing for many years. And I think like had to work through a lot of criticism around like, you know, even, even after Misawa's passing, like a lot of criticisms around like, this is no longer the Noah that we know. And he's had to, I think, battle a lot of perception and around that and take a, a lot of hard criticism on like, you know, how he was quote unquote steering the arc, which we'll also talk about later, but to have him feel comfortable saying this, which I think really started to happen more for him after he won the belt from Muto and started his fourth reign to have him say that publicly and mean it is really refreshing, but do I agree with him? There's like a few things I don't agree with him about. This might be one of them. 
but I but I appreciate that again that he is taking responsibility for it. If they move forward, he is saying this is our identity and I have to respect it. So yeah, I don't know if I agree. Um, I'll be interested to see how they try to execute this. But again, I, I just I literally don't know uh who this is for. And my concern always is like if you're going to execute this, it has to be done well. You can't fail these female performers in doing this. You cannot fail them. Um, and that's, and that is, you know, a, a big concern as well. It's, you know, we see that we struggle all the time with some of the decisions they make around their own wrestlers, right? If you start this, the criticism is going to be so loud if it fails. Um, so they have to be extremely careful and, um, and in, in invoking the, I am Noah of it all. He, uh, he has to be aware of that as well. Yeah, I'd say, uh, a perfect way to bring it back to I am Noah. I was thinking the exact same thing while you were were talking about it because that's that's really what it is, and it really is about Noah's identity. And speaking of, we had another match on the premium stage that, um, to me, really speaks to that search for identity and trying different things, and that would be the GHC Special Martial Arts Rules match between Masakatsu Funaki and Shinya Aoki. Uh, so I want to know your opinions on this match, what you thought about it, and then we will get into the nitty gritty of sort of the style of match and what you guys think. So in general, as a rule, I'm I'm very neutral about Funaki, just in general. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan. If he's on the card, that's fine with me. Like he's, I, I respect what he's done. He's a legend. Um but I'm never like looking forward to a Funaki match that they're going to advance. They, they're going to announce in advance. Uh, the thing that struck me here is that this felt even more like, at least before Funaki was involved in some sort of Noah programs, right? He was, he had, you had the title run. He had some, some, he had the super long title run actually. And he was more connected to the actual Noah wrestlers where now this felt like, sort of the Masakatsu Funaki cinematic universe, or you're just having the MMA exhibition with, with Shinya Aoki. And uh, now they're moving on to him and Josh Barnett. And I'm starting to wonder, where is this going? Like, are we just doing some like Funaki showcase matches until his retirement? perhaps, because he's hinted at this in interviews and on social media, I think. Um, but yeah, um, I I just, I, I don't have a good sense of where this is going. And for this specific match, it almost felt like whoever booked it almost wanted to flex like the diversity of the card. Like we can do everything. We can do Lucha Libre, we can do shoot style, Classic Noah, uh, we have it all, but uh, yeah, I, I I just don't know where this is going, and I know I'm not. Since I wasn't that excited about Funaki, even when he was like actually connected to the Noah roster, now him just doing shoot style exhibitions against whoever, I'm I guess I'm even less interested. <laughs> Oh, this is so interesting, Lou, to hear your thoughts. I, um, unfortunately, this is my shit that I'm deeply susceptible to as well. Um, this for me feels like pride shit or like rising, you know, but in a good way. Uh, 
So, yeah, but the, I agree with you in that, like, it's hard because it's been a long time since Funaki got me really excited for a match of his, unfortunately. Like, we've, unfortunately, we've hit, like, a pattern, like, a holding pattern with him, um, and I've been pretty bitter at him for a while because he he's, like, the downfall of them's alliance as well. But, like, um, like, and that's been the hard part. The, the hard part is that it's really difficult to get excited about um, a Funaki match. I did not love his, like, his national run. Like, I think that, like, of the national champions, he was easily the weakest of the of the national champions. So, in that way, it's definitely very hard to, like, feel that excited. But I think that, like, the way I phrase this to Rachel was, like, well, at least he's out here earning his keep. And, like, putting on some of these, like, more marquee matches. Because, like, I still get really excited when, like, Shinya Aoki is going to come around. Because, like... I still think he's a really big fucking deal, like in like outside of like what he does for professional wrestling now. Um, I am very interested in Josh Parnett coming in. I think that's really cool um, to see him come in and do something like this. I do think that like this is not sustainable um, because eventually like Funaki is going to retire or like move on. And then it's like, well, then what? You know, we've we've seen something recently between um, Hideki and um, Sakuraba, which like I was really really excited about that match too, and that felt very rise and very pride, very exhibition. And like I don't think that those things are a problem. I think that they like they fit pretty well into like the culture of Noah and like things that they've done historically. Uh, I think like, even New Japan has like done stuff like this. Like from my memory of like when I was like more of a fan and watching like stuff like years ago. Like I think that these things do generally fit more but it's not a sustainable model like eventually Funaki is going to have to move on um it reminds me like what I really liked is like when Keno was national champion and he was like and like that national run made sense for like what he was doing and like he was doing like a lot of really interesting like that stuff that was like more sort of like skirting the line between like professional wrestling and like shoot fight it was like more like a pancreas type of thing like what he was doing um I, I remember like making the joke I think it was after he beat Funaki, I think, was where I was like tweeting, like, well, now he should just fight Fedor. Like, let's bring in Fedor. Like, that stuff is like fun and like kind of interesting and cool. Um, so that's the stuff that like I do like, and I wish that they would do a little more of, but like Funaki as like the model for this is not sustainable. And I don't know where they go from here with this. Like, I don't know who the next blueprint becomes because Sakuraba does not come around that often anymore. He really hasn't been wrestling all that much for Noah. That might change he comes back once in a while to do stuff but he's like so checked out um and now without sugira goon i don't really even know what would like be the thing that's bringing him back in so yeah i don't know i don't know where they go from here but like this was um i really liked this match i thought it like it just ruled because like i just i like the the fighting style of it all and funaki clawed the eyes in this like that was like that was fucking cool like that part was really cool and he hit a sick front like flip kick towards the end so like there was like actually some pretty cool funaki things in here for like someone who hasn't really had like that exciting of a match in a while but i thought this was pretty killer and i like the notion of it like the idea of this stuff but again like not a sustainable model because like where do you go when you don't have funaki um when, when you don't have Sakuraba to call on, I don't want to see them do anything with that other guy, Fujita. I, I don't want to see them do anything with him. So I I, I don't know where you go um, from here, but I did enjoy um, this a lot. And I can't wait to see what happens with the Josh um, Barnett fight in Osaka. That should be really interesting. I was going to make fun of you for calling um, Funaki the weakest national champion, but it turns out you just forgot about Fujita's like general existence. So yeah. Well, he, he didn't really yeah. have it that long, did he? Didn't, wasn't it like a zero defense reign? 
was it zero defense he didn't have it long like i i don't blame you for it it was just one of those that match with sagira was fucking killer so he had at least one good match fair enough okay i can't argue with that um but yeah no i i agree with everything that's being said i like it as a concept um just like the ghc special martial martial arts rules like i like the title I like the the vibe that it gives to the promotion, um, especially sort of piggybacking off of Keno's national run, where you're sort of, um, of course, his whole thing was that he was fighting these old shooters to get them out of Noah. But, you know, what are you actually shoot doing? You're highlighting them. Um, so that sort of warms the company up to this sort of style. But you're right. It's, it's all about Funaki. It's all been about Funaki. All of these matches have been Funaki's cinematic universe, um, as Lou said, absolutely perfectly. So, um, yeah, I, I really don't have anything to add. I think that's exactly it. I like the concept. I'd like to see it with different wrestlers if they can. Um, I think one thing actually that you said about this match itself, Alicia, was that it was um, more along the lines of what we would like to see out of um, greats um, UWFI sort of style. Yeah. And- yeah, I really liked this match for that reason. Like that was really what I craved when Great was starting up. So um, yeah, I, I love the match itself. I thought it was fantastic. And I also um, pointed out the eye clawing spot. I love that spot so much. But um, yeah, like there's some good here. But if it's all about one wrestler, then is it really ghc style like are we really doing a ghc special martial arts rules match or are we doing a funaki showcase match well and i think like what i would like them to do and like the thing is they have so many guys with backgrounds in the shit like keno has this background like nakajima jake like even though he doesn't really like he he refuses to to, like throw shoot kicks but like he (laughs) he can he could do it if he wanted to but like Um, he also grapples like he's like a he's a a jiu-jitsu guy now so like I don't know why like they couldn't really make this a thing if you started then you would have to plant the seeds of it like make these guys have these little like fight and and, again I don't really know how I necessarily feel about that like as a long-term thing but like I'm willing to give it a go I'm interested in seeing it like I would love to to see how that would turn out but they've got to make a decision because right now you've got the Funaki show if he's going to retire like he's been hinting like then you've got to change gears and like like well what's the next plan if for someone like um like a Jake in particular when we like when we'll talk more later but like we don't really know what his his plans are because he's just really vague about what he's going to do next like what, what is he going to do when he drops the title? Well, maybe he starts doing these types of matches with people. I have no idea. Like, like I don't know. It's just something to think about, I guess. But I'm, I'm not completely resistant to the idea of them trying it. So sort of to change gears a little bit, um, we going into the global stage now, I wanted to point out that um, every title, except for the junior tag titles, which is currently held by Tadasuke and Yohei, and they were in the opening match of the premium stage um all the other titles were up for grabs during the show and they started off on the global stage portion with a match for the ghc heavyweight tag titles sugira and tanaguchi versus timothy thatcher and saxon huxley representing the brand new unit real uh so (laughs) i know uh we all have a lot of thoughts on the ghc heavyweight tag division 
situation, uh, the, the tag situation and, um, what's going on with that. So I need to know what you guys thought about this match and your current impressions of the Noah tag scene. It does feel like the tag scene is not the most stable tag team division in wrestling right now. That is for sure. However, I will say that I really like this match a lot more than I expected. So the, the new guy, Saxon Oxley, he honestly reminded me of like a slightly more exciting Gianni Valera from All Japan Pro Wrestling. And... Uh, but I mean, this is, I actually mean this is a compliment. He's like the Bruiser Brody uh, archetype, but uh, yeah, to, to play it up for a modern audience, I guess. And when I, when I, uh, this was actually my first time seeing him. I haven't been watching a lot of these pre-shows, so I wasn't sure what to expect, but he meshed really, really well with Taniguchi and Sugiura here. I, the, the one thing that I felt watching this match is that um, during the COVID era, um, like the Noah guys, they were sort of stuck working the core roster over and over and over again. And there weren't that many new wrestlers. And this is a match that gave me the feeling of like the core Noah guys having fun with like new opponents. Like you could tell both Suguria and Taniguchi were like having a blast working these guys. Uh, and it just came true in their facial expressions and energy. Uh, and it was really cool. I, like, I'm i not sure about the results. Uh, did we really need the, these guys to win? I don't know, but it made for a, a fun wrestling match. The match is a lot more fun than I wanted it to be because I wanted to go into it mad because I've been mad for I've been mad for like a year but I've been <laughs> I was mad for the past couple of weeks I was already hot about this because I'm not happy with what happened with um Daiki Inaba and Masakitamiya I was really unhappy with the decision to take the belts off them for um Tanaguchi and Sugira I think my biggest issue with the heavyweight tags in Noah is that it feels like this division is very splintered um the teams just really aren't very strong and it's like just we've had a just a very weak bout of teams for a while which is really unfortunate because like noah tag wrestling like they're not better than all japan but like noah has always had strong tag teams and we just haven't really had like a resurgence of that in a long time but it feels like because these teams are so splintered what's been happening is that they've had to keep sugira doing something because they can't get him the um they can't get him another rain yet right with the ghc heavy so they've got to give him something so they just keep um giving him these tag runs with like different partners but it's made less and less sense like the next time they give him the belt right so i was really disappointed when um they took the belt so quickly off of Masa and um inaba who i felt like were really starting to gel and really starting to like click together and I feel like if you keep doing that with people um you are really hurting someone like Inaba who needs like to be doing something to get better you are hurting him and not allowing him to do something to get better otherwise he's just doing multi-man tags and working for like 20 seconds at a time how is he supposed to get better and learn how to work a crowd if you guys don't let him work like I just have been so frustrated with like how they did that I thought like with each like 
time him and Masa had a match, like it just like started to really make sense for him. And like, he was really starting to win the crowd over. So I've been frustrated. And then like, we could have a podcast just on the handling of Masa Kitamiya, um, especially like with him having to then, like he really became like the representative, like to go handle Kento after the dome, not even Nakajima. It was Masa who went over and handled Kento. And like Masa looked like the guy. And then Masa comes back to Noah and loses his belt and then gets to open a Noah card by wrestling a child. And that's where like, I just want, I'm a very patient person when it comes to storylines and when it comes to like navigating, like how like these storylines are built and how long they can take to really come to a head. The handling of Masakitamiya is like so uh, like just unending and how frustrating it is. So that's how I came into this match was like already being frustrated because, um, I was really mad about that. And like, what will also not make me popular is that Tanakuchi to me, like he is very much like a Noah guy. Like he's a Noah born guy. I think he came in around the same time that Aoki came in. So they, they came in around the same time. I want to say um, he's been around for a long time. He's a very well-trained, good hand, very solid, very dependable. All Noah guys are well-trained. However, he has never been at any point in his career, the guy, right? So I don't know why Tanaguchi at his big age was given this title run over someone like Masa, someone like Inaba. So all that to say, I came into this match extremely frustrated. But like Lou said, it actually was a fun match. And part of that is because um, like they just really enjoyed working with like Huxley and Timo. Like they really wanted to work with them. You could tell. Um, real is also very fun so far. The ending of Sugiragun was hysterical. One of the best bits they've ever done. Hideki is a madman. Really loved that bit. It was already a dead faction, but like him in the way that he like demonstrated that he had ended Sugiragun and then Sugiru being like, it was already done. That's a great bit. So love, love real, super on board with that. Um, I like sex that I'm on the fence with in terms of like how effective like the gimmick is because to me it, it can come across like cosplay bruiser brody but like it was fine for this match like they did what they had to do um there were a lot of Noah fans who were really into Tanaguchi in this match like he came across like the underdog so it was incredible to see them rip the rug out from under those fans and give the belts to real but that also makes sense when you're um when you go down the card and you you know there's another big match with Hideki and um for the national belt so it makes sense that there was got to be one real team that was going to walk away with the belts right because you can't have real lose twice on the same card as a as a debuting faction right so yeah this is just um to me though this is just like the kind of frustration like sort of personified though in this match is that the hot, the hot potatoing of the belt, really inconsistent teams that like just don't feel like teams. We're dealing with a lot of new teams. Um, and then you have like, you know, Sugira and Tanaguchi where it's like a zero defense reign for what? Why did you take the belts off of Masa and Inaba? Couldn't they have carried it to this point and lost to real? That's where nothing makes sense. Why did we do that for Tanaguchi? Sugira doesn't need it. Right. So why did we do that for Tanaguchi? That's the stuff that like drives me nuts about, again, this like Noah booking. It's like, how can we handle a new women's division with a new belt when we can't even like book the yeah. heavyweight tag belts in a way that makes sense for people like Masakitamiya? So that's where I'm uh, very frustrated. But to sum up, I I love Timo, super on board with like what they're trying to do with Real. Um, I'm just still like very frustrated over like the complete lack of direction with the tag division. 
Um, one thing I did actually want to point out, kind of going off of what Lou said, um, and actually what Alicia said too, is that uh, Huxley's nickname is uh, Rewa No Brody. So it is uh, the Brody of the Rewa era. So I thought that was cool that you mentioned that it's like an updated version for the new generation of Brody. It, it's cool, but it does come across as being a cosplay. Like it really does. Uh, I like it. I love real so far. I'm glad that you do too, Alicia. I wasn't totally sure how you felt about the unit. So, cause we, we just haven't really talked about the unit um, in general. I really like their vibe. I really loved their energy and vibe during the May 14th show that just happened uh, when they were fighting Masaki Mia, Daiki Inaba, and Yoshiki Inamura, which I'm going to touch on in just a second. Um, I, I really liked that match and I really liked their energy together. Um, I love this match in general. I really do echo all of the sentiments that you have. Um, Masaki Mia's booking is just baffling. What they're doing with Sugiura is this whole storyline where he can tag with anybody and, and win the belts instantly. Um, they, they sort of touched on that in commentary that he is like the strongest partner or something like that. Um, and that's ultimately what led to the downfall of Sugira Goon because Hideki was kind of like, you're tagging with all these people who aren't Sugira Goon. So I'm going to, I'm going to destroy it. Um, and, and Sugira's like, okay. Um, he's been begging for someone to end that unit since what, 2019 when it first started. Um, he didn't even know he had a unit. For a while, Nozawa um, knew he had a unit. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, which again, the funniest thing that has ever happened uh, in Noah recently, that's that's one of the greatest bits. But um, yeah, it, it just, it's baffling. And I get that they're sort of trying to make it a piece of Sugira's character that he can tag with anyone, but then you sort of move your head just slightly to the left and you see Masakita Mia, who is also just being filtered through all of these tag partners, constantly getting a new tag partner and often winning the belt with them. He won the belt with Kaito Kiyomiya, which I didn't even remember until I was re-watching the cage match recently. Um, yeah, like he, he gets all of these random partners. So he's basically echoing exactly what they're doing with Sugira, but they're not really acknowledging it. They're, he's just being cycled around because they want to give him something to do. He's popular. Um, if you look at that tag defense, the one defense that he and Daiki had against Congo, he looked like the guy, like Alicia said, it's not even he's being booked better in, in all Japan, uh, which I mean, he was because he looked amazing in all Japan. Um, he, he has moments where Noah looks like they're going to do something with him. And then they dial him back and he's in the opening match. So I don't know. It's it's just really annoying that they're doing this cycle of partners with two wrestlers and they're making it a thing with one of them and not really acknowledging that, yeah, this is actually just because we don't have a tag division. We don't know what we're doing. And Masa and Sugira are just kind of keeping it alive um, by having a partner every few months. Uh, I think I looked back and there wasn't, I can't, oh, it was when Marafuji and Muto had the belts. That was the last time we had a match for the GHC tags that didn't have either Sugi or Amasa in it. I'm serious. Yeah, <laughs> it's wild to think about. So that's the state of the tag division for you. Um, and that's and that's my issue. Um, I thought the match was great. Uh, it's just, 
frustrating to see this happen. And that goes into sort of what I next wanted to talk about is next we have um, Real versus Masakita Mia and Yoshiki Inamura. And I wanted to know sort of your thoughts on that match. Um, if you think the tough, that's um, Inamura and Kitamiya, if you think that they have a chance of winning and your feelings of yet another, you know, zero defense reign, what are your thoughts on that? I'm sure it's going to be a great match for sure. That lineup sounds really appealing. Uh, as for the results with the year and just not just the year, but the years that they've been having with the tag division booking, uh, I just don't know. I, I, it could go either way. It could be another zero defense ring. Uh, I really don't know. And that's that doesn't bode well for their tag division booking when you can just expect it to go in any direction, any given time without any sort of logic or long-term thinking. I am concerned. It's like more of the like, rock and a hard place booking that Noah loves to serve out because if they, if like real goes to uh, have another, like have a zero defense reign, it's like, great. It's like another, just a string of like zero defense reigns. And like, just like, you know, it doesn't make them look good as a new faction. Um, but also like Masa Kitamiya having to like lose this match and like watch him lose. And like Inamura to like watch Inamura lose a match like this. Um, that's insane. And, and that's why, like, there's no winners here. Like, there's, it's almost like they've, they sometimes set the booking up perfectly so that no matter who wins or who loses, there are no winners. Um, and that's what's like really frustrating to me. And like, Noah does it to itself. Like, that's just where the booking winds up. And like, it's just a really um, frustrating thing. I would rather the tough win. Um, that is where my loyalties obviously lie. I would rather these belts go to Masa and Inamura, who, um, that's where my loyalties are. That's like, that's who I'm going to root for in this. But, um, but yeah, it just, again, it's, it's like, it, that's that booking, that pattern of booking that rock and a hard place booking. It speaks to the, the holes in, in the logic of Noah's booking as, as a whole that I think that they really need to start addressing. And we're definitely going to come back to this uh, sort of, as we talk down other things that happened on this card. Um, but I do agree with what you're saying is, is there's really no, no winners here. And I guess you could argue then there's no losers either, but it just sort of feels like no matter what, you're going to kind of be like, well, that was a good match. Um, but the booking was kind of, eh. and that's really, um, the Noah situation, especially with these, uh, these tag matches, these tag title matches. Um, we'll see. I do hope the tough make it through. I'm, I'm a big fan of them. And I, I would think that, you know, they had that one. And like I said, that, that match on the 14th was very good. If you, if you guys want to check that out, it was a really, really fun six man. I thought that he looked really good, which like you said, he doesn't really get enough time to shot and to shine and connect with the crowd. But um, I thought it was really promising at least that Inamura got the pin, but I'm worried that it's the only thing they're going to give him for a while is that, Oh, he got the pin. Okay. We've advanced your career, you know, an entire inch um, so then they can justifiably lose the tag belts. Like I, I have a lot of different anxieties and worries about this match, but to lose point, it is going to be a phenomenal match. Um, you have a lot of really good talent and, uh, just some, some really good energies. And, um, just to sort of put a little bit of positivity in it, I do really like 
the vibe we're going with, with um, Daiki, Masa, and um, Yoshiki Inamura working together. We're probably, I'm going to probably touch on that again um, later on, but I like well, the three of them. Oh, that's what I'm, I'm just going to say, like about that, like that's where also Noah, like not to not be, not to be negative, but that's where Noah will potentially shoot himself in the foot too, because like Inaba needs to keep working with Masa. He clearly like responds to Masa. He respects Masa. So like they need to stay working together. Um, but it's also like just really like weird that like the tough is now back together. Inaba has to kind of hang back. But like without with, with Sugira Goon, like if they're not going to give Sugira another faction right away, and and Rick really like Sugira doesn't really need one. Like he can just kind of be like this older veteran man who wanders around and like joins whoever kind of like marafuji like they don't have factions right now they just wander let them wander so in letting them wander like then masa should have a faction let this be the start of their faction then like give them something like that's branded and like it's great that hideki got a faction right like he got real immediately like out of the ashes of sugiragoon i don't know why masa doesn't have something like that so that he can continue to feel like the guy that like a lot of us know that Masa is. That's my thoughts on that. No, that's perfect. I, I almost just like shouted like, yes, cause that's, that's exactly how I feel. And if they could go through with that, if they did go through with that, that would be absolutely fantastic. And I really, um, I'm glad you mentioned that and, uh, touched on that. Also Sugira is joining Congo. That's, that's what's going to happen. So <laughs> no, um, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, that, that's my thoughts on that. Um, and I think we covered everything I wanted us to talk about for the tag, um, division, unless you guys have something else to, to say. Um, so yeah, let's move along to the next title match. And that would be Hayata versus Ninja Mac. Um, and yeah, that was for the junior title. We can just, um, I don't really have a lot to say on the junior division and the junior booking right now. Uh, it's, it is what it is. It feels like it's been what it is for three and a half, four years now. Um, and yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to say on this match. So I want to hand it to you guys and just go wild. What were your thoughts on Hayata versus Ninja Mac? To be fair, that was another match where going in, I was convinced I would dislike it and ended up liking more than expected for sure. Uh, usually Hayata doesn't do anything for me like at all. And Ninja Mac, he's still clearly very much a work in progress in many ways. Uh, so considering all of that, I thought the match was fun, like surprisingly fun. They did like the uh, double arm work storyline kind of thing. Uh, and had some creative ideas in how they approached it, which I thought were cool. Um, I kept thinking watching this that, you know, if I was 12 years old, Ninja Mac would be my favorite, like for sure. Like he looks really cool. He has cool gear. Uh, he just needs to, I guess, work on his ninja presence. <laughs> if you want to call it that? <laughs> Because he's very loud so in the loud. ring. He yeah, is the extremely fucking loud. screaming. Holy <laughs> shit. I would say, because I'm I'm convinced that Ninja Mac was brought in by Marufuji. I'm sure Marufuji is a big Ninja Mac supporter. Yeah. So I would say Marufuji sit down with Ninja Mac and like make him watch, I don't know, like Ultimo Dragon or Great Muta. He's like guys that have a, a mystique about them and they know how to work. Uh, 
without like projecting loudness all the time. Uh, I think he could learn a lot from that. Um, but yeah, the, overall, I, I didn't hate it at all. I, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, as for the status of the junior division, I don't know. I, just, <laughs> I really don't know. I, it just, why are we always going back to Ayata as like the junior ace, ace figure of the division? I, I have no, I, I don't know. I don't know why you're doing this. Um, maybe there's a disconnect. Like maybe he's more popular with the Japanese fans than yes. The Alicia is saying yes. Um, that's probably it. All right. So yeah, those are my thoughts. I I don't know. I don't know what to say about the state of the junior division outside of like rest. It's it's a lot like the tag division actually. Like the wrestling matches can be pretty good, but you're never fully invested in what they're booking or where the storylines are going. Uh, I guess that's, you could say that about Noah in a nutshell, a lot of times, but I guess it's more concentrated in the junior division right now. So the Ninja Mac shoot lore is that he went to a Harley race training camp somewhere in the U S I forget where Harley race did them. And Mara Fuji used to go to those. Um, he used to come over here and he used to be like a guest trainer at a certain point because he was very close to Harley because he knew Harley from when he was very young um, through the All Japan Connection and such. And then when um, Harley would do stuff for Noah. So he was a guest trainer at one of those camps one year, the year that Ninja Mac went to that training camp. And that's where they met, like when Ninja Mac was like really young. So they have like a little photo together from that time. And they've posted like, text like screenshots of like when ninja mac was like asking like mara fuji over text like do you remember me like when we like when we like when we met and then he like showed them like showed him the picture or something and like mara fuji remembers because he remembers everyone and remembers everything and remembers every nice thing anyone's ever done with him because the key to mara fuji is his sentimentality so that is the uh the ninja mac lore and yes it is mara fuji who was responsible for that um so yeah one thing, um, another wrestler who really, really likes working with Ninja Mac and really liked Ninja Mac is actually Jinsei Shinzaki. Um, he's not responsible, mm -hmm. obviously, for bringing him into Noah, but um, it was interesting to me that you sort of mentioned um, that Ninja Mac needs to watch, you know, these these mysterious types. Yes. I think yes. the reason that Jinsei likes Ninja Mac so much is that he's a very miniature version of Sasuke, great Sasuke at times. Um, but he lacks a lot of the um, allure that great Sasuke has, like just that weird, undeniable, strange charisma that you can't really place, nor can you deny with great Sasuke. And and great Sasuke is a loud ninja, like that's sort of his thing. So I I almost disagree that we could shift away from the mysteriousness and actually just have him sort of think about what great Sasuke is doing and did and why that worked um or maybe we can marry the two I don't know but he does need something that sort of isn't just little ninja who screams um I think I think that is sort of where it's at is that he could cook a little bit more in um the stage presence department because it just doesn't match for me um the match itself I felt like Actually, you know what, Alicia? Do you remember what you how you described this match? 
No. What did I say? (laughs) (laughs) That it was like the most American indie. Oh yeah. That it looked, it looked like two indie guys just doing things towards each other. And I'm actually a pretty big fan of guys who just do things um, and, and are trying different things with each other, but it didn't really work too much in this match. Sometimes it was an arms match. Sometimes it was like a, a GCW fast paced match. It, it was just a weird little like combination of things that just sort of didn't work for me. So I did not like it. Um, like Lou did. It just, it didn't mesh. Um, what were your thoughts, Alicia? I didn't like it, but I think like you touched on a big part of why I didn't like it. And I think it's, it's because there are certain people and like, frankly, the vast majority of them are juniors. Like there are people who work a certain style that they bring in where it's like, I wouldn't see you if you were 15 minutes from my house at the local place where I go to see wrestling sometimes. So I don't want to watch you at, on, on, on Noah shows either. I'm sorry. Like, I just don't, I wouldn't watch you here. So I don't really want to watch you over there. Um, Ninja Max like style. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Um, the fucking screaming drives me up a wall. Like it really does. Like, I think part of it, and like, it's to what you guys were talking about. Like a lot of it, I think is just like, he lacks a finesse at this stage of his career. Like he really does. And like, like learning how to make noise in the ring and to scream and stuff, that's an art. And like, that is something that like Baba, like talked about, like he had theory around like a lot of this, like how you make noise in the ring. And it's very obvious, like to me that, um, a lot of the like Americans, they just don't have that same finesse that like I'm looking for out of, out of my wrestler. So I don't know. It just, it doesn't work for me at all. But there was also something that Hayata did that like, he does, he does this shit a lot. He comes across very indie to me still at this stage for being Ogawa's favorite and for having been in this company now for quite a long time. But he did this like weird thing to like swing Ninja Max arm, like very ineffectually into the ring post. Cause it wasn't even that he took forever in the setup the like the power was not there when he swung Ninja Max arm into this into the post so it was like all of that setup to to make this look silly like that stuff drives me wild in some of the matches with him but like it just like that to me is again like it's just like it's part of that like I can only describe it as part of their style because I catch them doing this shit a lot and maybe like some of that comes down to finesse too I don't know but like at this stage I just it's like I these people are usually very skippable to me but I also usually skip like entire Noah Jr. matches and then without like Daisuke Harada around there's very little rooting me to Noah Jr.'s the booking is always a mess I'm not keeping up with stinger stuff you couldn't pay me to watch a stinger match at this point i'm not gonna do it it's the same thing over and over and over again and i'm not gonna do it i just won't so i feel i think it's still shocking that they managed to get a stinger match of that caliber onto the the fucking mudo show at the dome i couldn't believe it i still can't believe it so like that stuff is not for me i'm not gonna do it so like it's all like very frustrating for me. I watched this match. It was what it was. It's just not, it, this is, there are people who ride hard for the Noah Jr. So they're like fans of these guys are more invested in these guys than the heavyweights. More power to you guys. I can't watch this. This stuff is, is unwatchable to me. I'm sorry. I'm just being very honest today. Apparently I cannot stand the person he called out. That's another guy, Dante Leon. Um, he is another GCW indie guy. I can't watch that style of wrestling. I'm just not going to do it. So like, that's another match. Like you couldn't pay me to watch it. I'm not going to watch it, but I was disappointed because Tadasuke was on commentary. Um, I think Tadasuke since moving to um, GLG from Congo 
like that move for him and like it's not, I don't think that like Congo was holding him back I just think that like sometimes you get really comfortable where you are when you're in something for a long time and then something changes for you and you're able to um really start to like explore like character again and like you know really like work on your wrestling and stuff and like he looks fucking amazing right now like Sadasuke is wrestling better than he has the entire time he's been in Noah um I'm like really excited about him I really like um his relationship with like Yohei and like what they're doing with the junior tag belts that is wrestling I, I, I'll watch right now is the two of them um but I really wanted Tadasuke to like be the next like challenge because at least like you would be able to see like a good match from um Tadasuke and he does typically work really well with Hayata because they have a relationship together so it was disappointing when it was like no we have to run back this fucking Dante Leon match and not get like um a Tadasuke match out of that which is just annoying to me so yeah um so yeah to sum up not a fan of the Noah Juniors, but I do think that Tadasuke is um is phenomenal right now and frankly someone to watch. And a lot of that is because he's in GLG working with different people. Um, he's working and training a lot with like Anthony Green, and like I think all of that is really good for him. So like super stoked about that at the very least. Did you guys watch the main event with Tadasuke and Yohei versus um Alpha Wolf and Dragon Bane from April 29th? Yeah. Um sorry, I just I wanted to shout out that match. Um Lou, did you watch it? Not yet, but I heard great things about it. Definitely check that out. Um, Alicia, you said you liked it. I loved it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I wanted to shout out that match and, and that was really cool. And it, it is really cool to see a lot of the luchadors. We touched on that, um, but it is really cool to see them, especially in a uh, main event. And a lot of uh, Noah fans, Japanese Noah fans are really, really into them as well. So it's really cool to see. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent with what you're saying. Like Tadasuke could be their ace right now. Tadasuke should be their ace right now. Um, he's got incredible charisma. He's really stepped it up in GLG. He's doing amazing work and he works his best and uh, he gets the best matches out of Hayata because Hayata is at his best when he is eating shit from a lariat. I do mean it. Like that sounded really mean, but I, I mean it as in like Hayata is very good at selling <laughs> and he and he works he worked the best with Daisuke Harada too for the exact same reason is that he gets his best matches out of friends they're very close and out of power wrestlers because he is very good at being this glass cannon who just breaks under um, impact and Tadasuke has incredible lariats with great impact so I'm really disappointed that I'm not getting my Hayata Tadasuke match I hope we do in the future they just want to pad up Hayata's defenses for whatever reason he's already got you know three million defenses whatever you know I I actually I don't hate Hayata I just don't see him as an ace and I don't really know why like Lou said it best I don't know why we're positioning him as a junior ace um, he's very 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 popular in Japan like I'm not even kidding like he just is yeah. like he just is and and there's there's nothing wrong with that he does have a crowd connection and um yeah I just I don't know <laughs> I, I just don't know. It's it's not where I want it to be. Um, currently, just sort of updating on the storylines of the junior division. Currently, Hayata is out of Stinger um, and now teaming with Ata, who is also out of Stinger. <laughs> and now- This week. Yep. And this week. He, he, they might be back. They might both be back in Stinger next week. We don't know. Um, but right now, Stinger is Ogawa, Daga, and Chris Ridgeway. And they're, they're now feuding because that's just how it's all playing out and going on. It's just this little tangled web of stinger drama. Meanwhile, we have the um, GLG with the tag belts 
doing completely their own thing and only having matches on smaller house shows. Like I think their next tag um, title match is in Shinjuku face as the semi-main um, where I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk bad about the main event because it does deserve to be the main event, but um, it's still kind of like, okay, we're doing this at Shinjuku face as the semi-main like, okay, guys, where you have every other title on this card. So that's my feelings on that. Just want to say real quick that I'm starting to feel almost bad for every stinger guy outside of Ogawa and Hayata. Because Ridgeway, Daga, and Eita, like these guys are actually pretty, pretty good wrestlers. And they've been just going in circles forever. But there's got to be something like if they only took, I don't know, Ridgeway out of the Stinger storyline and tried to book him as a singles champion kind of guy, we might be headed towards somewhere. I don't know. I feel like there's something doable with the non-Ogawa and Ayata Stinger guys. I'm disappointed to know that I didn't realize that Daga joined those guys, which is like, what a fucking waste of Daga. <laughs> like, God, that is so disheartening. Like, Daga's like, he's very talented. Um, what a waste of of Daga. To, and like, he's a, he's a pretty good character worker too. Like, what a, what a disappointment to have him uh, to be hanging out with those guys, unfortunately. <laughs> My God. My God. And it's so sad because like I like Yoshinari Ogawa, you know, what what a guy, right? What a guy with a history, whatever, what a teacher. This this stinger shit is wild. Wild, unchecked and wild. I I I, I just unbelievable. That's the best description of it. It's completely unchecked. <laughs> just just letting letting it go and and see what happens. But you know, Hayata's popular and, and Ata's popular too. He's very popular um throughout japan and um so having them as a pair as a team could pay off um in the long run for noah perhaps um at least in the short run so there there's things there that might work for the junior fans um as for me i just sort of wish that they would pivot over to the glg juniors because i think that's where the appeal is at least for me that's what i tune into that's what alicia tunes into um so if my friends like it then therefore it's the best stuff but no for real I, I think there's there's a lot to be said for what's going on with the GLG juniors but um looking at the other uh title matches that we have on this card I did really like um how high the GHC national was up on the card it was the um third from the top and I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I love the match in general. Uh, Hideki Suzuki versus El Hijo de Dr. Wadiger Jr. Sorry, I butchered the accent. But um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was an amazing match. I actually enjoyed the finish more than Alicia did. So we'll we'll get some touches on that. I thought it was really fun and unique that it ended on um, a otherwise sort of just like a mid-match zany spot. Uh, I thought that the, they had done a good job building up to that point as well. Uh, the crowd was so into this match, um, which, you know, Lou mentioned that the crowd was into the whole card. Um, but I I really, really enjoyed this. And I was um, pretty surprised that Hideki lost. Like, it made more sense after Real had won the tag belts. So I thought, yeah, okay, maybe there was a possibility Hideki would lo- um, lose. But I was still very surprised that um, that's not who Wagner is going to drop to. And so I, I have a lot to say on Wagner's reign. Um, and I'm sure you guys do too. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this match and, uh, yeah, what you guys think about the, uh, the reign that Wagner is having currently. 
match was super great. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised that Wanger Jr. won. Uh, that's a few high-profile Hideki Suzuki losses now. Like he's lost in the N1 finals. He's losing here. You've got to wonder, are we finally out of the Hideki Suzuki, it doesn't work for me, brother, era, perhaps? <laughs> Maybe? We'll see. Time will tell. But the match was super good. And I, I kept thinking, if Noah want to keep pushing forward with their, like, um, variety show presentation and just trying all sorts of different shit, I think that Wagner Jr. is their guy. Like, keep pushing him. He has that sort of style that can appeal to anyone. He looks great. Um, he worked his ass off here. Uh, and I didn't think the match would click so well, but they they basically did a shoot style versus Lucha Libre match, and it just worked. Um, at this point, I wouldn't take the belt of Wagner Jr. unless they plan on taking that guy into the heavyweight title scene, like straight up. I think he'd be great working with guys like Kaito and Jake. Um, that would be my fantasy booking for Wagner Jr. if they decide to take the national title off of him. Right now, he's an amazing champion, and I'm just looking forward to more Wagner Jr. defenses. What has your favorite um, defense of his been so far? The Soya match, for sure. That was so good. Um, but yeah, he's, he's the kind of guy, like he can work well with anyone and it, he feels like a classic Lucha guy and you wouldn't think he would fit so well with all of these more traditional Noah guys, but he makes it work. He does the eye flying as well as the, I don't know, hard hitting forearm to the face, uh, type of wrestling. Uh, I'm just really excited about Wagner Jr. What about you, Alicia? What are your, uh thoughts on this match and and the rain and I'm going to ask you the same question is what your favorite match is though I'm pretty sure I think I know the answer well my favorite match is, was the Soya match I'll just say that right now there's no way that it's not that match was fucking great I think that match for a lot of us could be like like favorite match one of our favorite matches of the year I think towards the end of the year for sure it really was that good so if you're listening and you haven't listened to that match please that was that was fucking good um this match I thought was good but um, I did not like it nearly, I think, as much as Lou and Rachel. Um, but I, I did think it was very good. It was very good. I, for some reason, it just didn't click with me quite in the same ways. Um, there were some some very, very good spots um, with it. Like, Wagner just looked, like, fucking great in this. I did think that the mesh of their styles, for the most part, did work um, incredibly well. Um, better than I thought it was going to. I didn't really think that Wagner was going to lose going into this. So I really wasn't like surprised when I, um, cause I watched this all on delay, but I wasn't really surprised when I woke up the next day and saw that he retained. I just like, did not think that um, Hideki was going to defeat him here. Cause I don't think like, like Lou was implying, I don't think that Hideki has like um, the cards are not in that man's favor right now. I don't know what shifted <laughs> backstage, but he got a faction, but he's not getting much else right now. So that was interesting. 
I thought it was awesome to hear like the crowd really like bite into so much of this, um, especially um, in that exchange at the very end. Rachel like was, you know, referencing that I didn't love um, the finish as much. I think my problem is that the finish I have no problem with, like how Wagner won is not my problem. The execution of it was a little sloppy. There was some like big man syndrome going on at the end, in the end there with just like a lot of limbs, a lot of legs, a lot of, a lot of contending with that going on. So I think that it just looked a little sloppy um, in the execution, but that doesn't mean I didn't really like the finish. It's just like the execution wasn't there for me. And I think that's probably what like knocked it down a little bit in my mind of like where I would rank it in terms of what he's done so far, Wagner with this belt. But I think that he is, um, he's a phenomenal champion. It is so cool to see people in like, um, like Noah fans, like really get behind him. Like there's so many little kids running around in his mask at the shows. I loved seeing him at one of the cards where they, it wasn't even a card actually. I think it's just like the day they brought all the wrestlers out for the meet and greets, all these little kids standing there like in his mask to meet him. Um, he's getting like a ton of like shirts, like at different places now where like, like, and people like are buying up these shirts, like he is becoming so popular and it's so cool um, to see because I don't think there's been like a luchador that's like resonated like this for like a while, like, or at least as quickly. Um, so that's like just really, really cool. And I'm excited. And like, I talked about this on our, um, our review of Muto show in, in uh, February, but like when he was, when his father was um, lost his mask, People did not take uh, Wagner Jr. Uh, very seriously um, as a wrestler. And like uh, people just did not think that he was ever really going to be able to rise to the occasion um, a couple of years ago. But like to see where he is now and just to see like people really like being like really excited about his wrestling and like just so thrilled about this reign is awesome. Like it's really cool that he has come so far as to prove everyone wrong about who he is as a wrestler and what he can really do. So that is super um, exciting for me um as well so yeah definitely soya is the um is the match i have loved the most from this rain i think they should like protect the shit out of this rain don't drop it unless you have a solid plan for um wagner but also the person that you're going to put the belt on like the person that like beats him this has to be someone that you're going to be making moves with like it has to be another really solid rain um and someone that you really have some plans for the national belt i think aside from the blip unfortunately that is funaki's a kind of lackluster rain like this has been a like a belt that has had great names attached to it, great reigns, great stories. This should be a an extremely well-protected belt at this point. Like, do not take this thing off of him until you have a plan um, and make sure that when you do put the belt on someone else that you also have a plan. Like, this really has to be well thought out because um, some great reigns and great stories have come out of the national belt so far. Yeah, I agree. And that's actually what I was going to ask next is um, if, you know, we're, we're, fantasy booking I guess somebody taking the belt from Wagner um who do you you know see taking it and I think you really touched on that it needs to be someone with a capital S like it needs to be someone very important and the, and the belt is it's um it has a lot of uh, prestige in a lot of ways like it's it's an exciting belt it's something that has a lot of identity and it has a lot of different identities but it does feel like a really like it feels a lot like what the intercontinental belt in new japan felt like um and i do you know there are always you know your um debates on you know they're not using it as an open weight title there is that that is a legitimate thing they could be um, not for this group but not anymore now exactly. it's only for the heavyweights yep <laughs> i 
<laughs> I prefer it personally. I prefer it with just the heavyweights because I like the heavyweights better, straight up. Um, I understand the complaints there. I do, I do get it. Um, it says it's an open weight title. We haven't really had an open weight defense other than like one random throwaway, random surprise defense with Keno versus Daisuke Harada that I don't think anyone remembers. But thank um, God in hindsight that we got that. Cause yeah, we, that, you and I, and I, Lou, do you remember watching that? I actually haven't. I haven't. Sorry. It's, it's like, it's well worth watching it's like it, it's one of those things where it pisses me off they did it and but it's also like thank god we saw it because they should have done it right like harada was the ideal candidate to win this belt and he should have won it and that's yeah. why like noah just irritates me endlessly with like how they drag their feet on things but like he would have been like the only i think like junior heavyweight candidate for this belt but they had it on like one of their surprise cards it was right after uh it was right after one of the budokan shows was it not yep, yep. um and keno um was out and it was you know and Keno was out and then his surprise challenger was Harada and like that's the type of stuff that like would have been interesting and compelling but like without Harada like that stuff kind of falls I think really flat now but like another good match to to look up if you haven't seen that one just because like thank again thank god we saw it now Harada had to retire um so that's like the shame of it all but like he's someone who probably should have gotten a ring with that belt anyway that's sorry had to say my piece on that no, I think that's well-spoken. And I I do think that Tadasuke could probably um, carry the national if they wanted to do that with a junior wrestler. Um, I, I know I'm a huge Tadasuke fan, but I, I do think he's probably the closest um, after Harada. But I, I do think I agree is that if we were going to have one, Harada probably would have been the best choice. And, and it is tragic. We're not going to get that. But um, yeah, no, just very well said in general. So... <laughs> This brings us to the semi-main event of Rogoku, and that would be the return of Go Shiyazaki. It was a six-man tag match of Kongo, Katsuko Nakajima, Keno, and Manu Soya versus the returning Go Shiyazaki after he was injured eight months prior, and uh, Kaito Kiyomiya and Yoshiki Inamura. And uh, yeah, of course, the match itself was very, very good. It was very fun. It was a very um, Noah six man. Um, actually, I had a friend was watching it and just like messaged me halfway through like, this is really good, but it's it's very much like your typical match between the six of these guys. And I'm like, yeah, hold on till the end. And um, of course, at the end, we have this um, moment where um, Katsuko Nakajima gets the pin off of Go Shiyazaki and wants his hands raised. And um, Keno and Manu Bisoya are too busy fiddling with their own belts for just like, it's a fraction of a second. I only noticed it when watching this for like a third or fourth time. Um, and he looks at them because they can't hold his hands up in victory for a long enough moment because they're too busy dealing with their own tag belts. They both have the um, world tag belts with AJPW. And his face sort of drops for a moment in disappointment. And then you have this seg over where he grabs the mic and he addresses Go Shiyazaki and says really mean things to him, actually. And, and we'll touch on that. He's He basically says, like, I am Noah. Like, you, you still are saying this whole I am Noah thing. What's with that? Where did that guy go? Where, what happened to the strong I am Noah Shiyazaki? And then um, mocks him, threatens to slap him, and then offers him a chance to reunite their tag team axes. 
in which Go Shiyazaki downtrodden, beaten, and wearing his fourth rain gear, which I'm sure we will talk about in just a second here, um, and sort of clinging to this former glory of himself, eagerly takes Nakajima's hand. And the theme song plays, it's very dramatic. Um, and they do probably the worst lean I've ever seen them do. And um, Axis is back. And that's not before we have this really, really dramatic moment between Nakashima and Keno and Soya, in which we sort of see this tension between them. And um, Soya sort of has this really great moment where he sort of shifts over to side with Keno. And it's this very dramatic moment where it becomes clear that Nakajima has left Congo and is now aligning himself with the newly reformed Axis. So with that summary out of the way, I need to know all your thoughts on this match, on this moment, on the future of Axis, the future of Congo, and uh, everything in between, because there's just a lot to digest here, a lot to dissect, and I know we have a lot to say. I really like the match, and I think it speaks to how good everyone and it really is that we can say it was sort of like a, a standard Noah six man, but uh, a standard Noah six man is actually better than a lot of other companies' standard six man. Um, a lot of physicality. I thought Go looked really good for for a comeback match. He looked uh, he, he was getting right back into it with the chop versus kick exchanges against uh, Nakajima. Um, no complaints about the match. So as for the Axis uh, reunion potential controversy, um, all I'm going to say is, um, I guess it's a lot. It felt like a lot of the big Noah angles where it sort of comes out of nowhere a bit and you almost feel like they do things just for shock value or to just change things up unexpectedly. Um it felt a bit like that. And at the end of the day, is Go Shiozaki going to get fucked over again? Probably. Um, but am I excited for new Axis tag team matches? Yes. 100% yes. Really psyched about it. Uh, who knows? Maybe they're going to be the team that brings some stability to the uh, tag team division. We'll see. Um, they've already had that match with uh, Keno and Soya that I haven't watched yet, but I saw some big time reactions to it on Twitter. It looked really good. Um, that's about my feelings on the situation. It's it's a very classic modern Noah situation where I'm down with the wrestling side of it, but if you think too hard about the logic behind the storyline, it maybe doesn't make 100% sense, I guess. Uh, that's about where I'm at with it. It's funny you bring up the shock value booking because that used to be something that especially Twitter loved to, br to blame rather on Nosawa Rangai. Nosawa is allegedly not around anymore so who do we blame now for the shock value booking over at noah we have to find a new culprit we can only blame mara fuji for the um americans running around so who would we choose for the, the shock value booking we'll have to choose a new victim for that um so okay so this is interesting i think it's interesting to know that lou is, is an axis fan we didn't know him when Axis was around the first time so now we know that he's an axis fan so that's really interesting right. and very cool to know 
<laughs> Stop it. We have to be nice. No, I'm kidding. So, I love um, I love access. Um, I don't, but that's okay. <laughs> I can be the one dissenter on this. <clears throat> so, so yeah. Um, I think it really speaks to though, just like again, like the strength of like this match and like the six man like booking formula, like when it's when it's on and when it's right and Noah, like how how good this match was that like you would not have known that they were going to do something. The only tell was Shio coming out in the fourth rain gear, which is like, you are unwell. What are you doing? That's so weird. Um, so yeah, like that was a huge, really interesting and strange tell. But I think the fourth rain gear is is super important to the story we've been talking on. And we touched on so much of that when we were doing um I Am Noah Part Two. It's our, our episode that we did. Touching on that storyline stuff, like we talked about Shio for like an hour and 20 minutes because we had to unpack everything he did um, last year. But like he is reaching so hard for the one part of his of his career in Noah where everything came together and made sense. Um, and that is his fourth GHC heavyweight reign. Um, so him coming out in that gear, I mean, it's it's just that it's reaching for that time period, trying to get back to that glory, trying to make um, that stuff makes sense. He's always, always, always reaching for that. It's part of the story that he's been telling since he came back from the shoulder surgery. Um, and, you know, we, if you reflect on even like when uh, they were going to the Budokan and Katsuhiko was uh, champion, what was Shio's stipulation going into that match? Um, Katsuhiko said, if I win, you can't do the I am Noah gimmick anymore. And he said, well, if I win, you have to come back to Axis, right? Like, so it's always about getting back to the status quo of that of that period for him where he was champion, where everything finally made sense after years of struggling, but also when Axis was around and when Katsuhiko was at his side. Um, but I think without ever really addressing why Katsuhiko had to leave in the first place, right? Like that was always the story that they were telling at the time period, which was extremely compelling stuff that was extremely compelling stuff going into the Budokan. So very interesting to see him walk out in the fourth rain gear here. But again, there was no way to really tell um, what they were going to do until um, the turn after the match. This was a really very good match. I thought that the work specifically between Katsu, Shio, or rather Katsu, um, Keno, and Soya was like really strong as like that like Congo triad like me and Rachel like to call them because like that like the work that they've just like started to do together was was pretty incredible so um that part of it was great so then you get to all of this stuff and uh, I am like so I'm like still struggling with like how disappointed I am this was such a worst case um booking scenario for me like with Shio um coming back and uh I did not want this to be a thing that I think there was still so much for them to do with Katsuhiko in in Congo I'm particularly furious that like him and Keno never got to have a tag title run. Um, they challenged multiple times. They lost multiple times. Um, there was no reason for them to lose multiple times. They should have had at least one run together and they never got to have it. Um, so I'm still disappointed about things like that. I think there was still a lot to, um, to do and to keep them separate. Um, this is a very marketable tag team. Obviously they sell a fuck ton of merch and they are going to capitalize on how much merch they're going to sell. Both of them are approaching anniversary years. So like the timing of this feels a little bit intentional because these IPs um, like Axis do push a lot of money in merch. So I get it, but I always felt like after this really started to like, after we started to really get into the story post Axis the first time, I thought that Katsuhiko Nakajima um, is a stronger wrestler and character outside of Axis um, than he ever was in it. And to me, like, this for it's such a small part of his career 
And yet it always feels like the thing people want to use to define him. And that is what I am so afraid about this union. We'll talk about, you know, what this might mean for them and, how, and what the differences are, because there is like a tone change in this reunion with Axis. But I am afraid of people um, trying to use this to define him once again and, and to try to push him back um, under, you know, like, an, you know, in Shio's shadow, which like to me is like the worst use of, of Nakajima. Um possible um i am glad that people are excited and i think it's gonna probably get some more casual noah fans like back into watching um which is always a good thing um but again the story that was being told by katsukiko keno shio when he was around like they had much more story to tell before i think a reunion like this so that's where i'm most um disappointed and you know, I think that there's there's a lot more that they I think there's a lot they can do here um, as well. Again, if they make Katsuhiko the, the focal point and the focus of this, if he becomes the the clear leader of Axis, um, there was an interesting interesting part of him leaving Congo in that moment is that he sets um, Keno up for this like impossible test that he can't that Keno can't possibly test. Um, he gave Shio to Keno like you have um, all your belts and your tag team with Soya. Here's my tag partner. Let me have um, my tag partner in Congo. And Keno can't do that for him because he hates Shiozaki and Shiozaki hates Keno. So he's already made up his mind, Katsuhiko, about Keno not needing him anymore in Congo, not needing him anymore. This is just confirmation bias. He just wants Keno to reject that notion of Shio joining Congo. Um so that he can say, well, I'm done with you and I'm going to, I'm going to lead Axis on my own and I'm going to do whatever. So I think like all of that is really potentially very interesting. But again, like, I think my anxiety in a lot of this is like, what are you going to do with Katsuhiko? Like a lot of this was sort of formed in Katsuhiko has been on a losing streak in his singles matches. Um, he's been talking about like not knowing what his place is since after the Shingo match. And then going back into some of his um, his matches with uh, Soya and Keno as well um, in his tweets and stuff. So like some of this has been brewing, I think, for a minute of him like questioning his place and like his issues with like, you know, needing to whatever. Like it's like a lot of this is like character work he's been like doing for years coming up in this as well. But I will be very concerned if this doesn't lead to like Nakajima being put back into like very strong booking, very strong positioning. Um, if he just becomes like another like random aimless tag team guy wandering after Shiyazaki, this is going to, I think, feel really shitty. Um, but they're presenting this right now with Shio being like the one that's sort of like downtrodden and not like particularly doing well. Um, and it's really Katsuhiko who has all like the power and the strength right now. So I think that if that's like, if that's, you know, the way that it goes, it, it could be compelling, but my, my concerns are around Katsuhiko's booking. Yeah. I think that's perfectly said. You touched on a lot of things that I really want to talk about. Um, there are a couple of things I want to talk about bouncing off of what Lou was saying as well. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is that Lou brought up that, um, you know, this could bring stability back into the tag team division. And and I sort of alluded when we were talking about the tag team division, like we're going to talk about that later on. Well, now's the time. Um, so I disagree. <laughs> I don't think they're positioning axes to be um, the stalwarts of the tag division. They might be, they could be, that would be great. Um, I think that they're going to continue the vibe of them being 
two very, very strong wrestlers who are singles wrestlers. And I think they're going to keep trying to put them in the main event because I don't know how much they value their tag division straight up, flat out. I just don't. I think that they might value Shiazaki and hopefully Nakajima more than they value the tag belts. I would love to be proven wrong. I really would love to be proven wrong. But as it is right now, I don't know. My big concerns are exactly what Alicia's are. Um, and that's that um, I think if they use this tag team to sort of elevate Shiazaki, not that he really needs elevation, but sort of be like, oh, well, he's down and out. But through axes, he's going to gain his strength back and get the GHC from Jake. I don't love that. I really don't. I, I don't. I think it would be really, really compelling if Nakajima re-challenges with this new attitude and sort of um, taps into this, like, truly, like, evil, broken, like, just mean side of himself and and takes that belt from Jake. You, you know, we sort of saw that in his title match. And we'll, we'll touch on um, that title match and, and Jake's run in general in a moment. But, um, yeah, it's just... There is so much they could do with this run, but I don't think that that's Noah's booking. <laughs> I think that that's what Keno Nakajima and Shiazaki are doing with their characters. And um, to that end, that's very interesting. Uh, the storytelling is very strong in a lot of ways. You have what Alicia was saying with Nakajima testing Keno and, and going on. And I could talk about that at length and, and would love to, but first I want to turn it over to you guys of what you think this means for the tag division, or do you still see them as singles wrestlers? Lou, I think I know your answer, but I would like to hear it. <laughs> I Hopeful, I, I I guess maybe I'm too hopeful, but I would love to see these guys actually add some, like, like we said, stability to, to the division. Uh, I would take them anytime over whatever's been going on for the past year or so, even if the matches haven't, haven't been bad, I feel like they could be a solid identity for the tag team division. Um, is that what we're going to get? I don't know. Maybe like Rachel said, they're just going to be doing these sort of showcase matches where they're tagging together, but not really going for the tag team belts. Uh, if they do take that direction, it might start to feel a bit weird at some point that they keep them together. But as a, as this tag team unit, that never wants to go challenge for the tag team titles <laughs> that might start to get weird. Um, yeah, I guess, like I said, it's that my best case scenario would be them as tag team champions uh, for, for a while, like getting some good matches, some good defenses, but we'll see, I guess we'll see. I have a lot of mixed feelings. I think that one of the most natural paths that I see because we are still seeing the fallout, obviously. Like, I cannot remember, like, a time where I, like, and Rachel, I mean, you feel this way too, but, like, Keno is so, like, burned by the way that Kasuhiko left Congo in, like, a very mm -hmm. overt way to the point where, like, he's going to burn the, the ethos of Congo to pursue Nakajima over this, um, which is really unlike him we've, we've been like kind of like privately talking about like how the ethos of congo has been changing for a hot minute anyway um but he is like real like ready to like throw the faction away to pursue um katsuhiko over this which is again like 
goes against the entire um, ethos of, of the faction to do so, but he's willing to do it because of the way that this is, you know, turned out and their relationship to each other. So my point is the most natural path I see forward for that aspect of it all is like Keno has 86 belts right now, right? So like they, if if like they have a singles match coming up, right? Like Katsuhiko and, and Keno, um, if Katsuhiko pins him, he could potentially make the justification that Axis can challenge for the world tag belts. That's great because if they win, that is the quickest way for Katsuhiko to go bother Kento. Mm-hmm. Awesome, right? Brings Kento back into the fold because really Kento is like another part of all the storytelling in this as well. He's been sort of brought into all of this because the diamond ring stuff is floating in the background now of all the storytelling between these guys because Kento is involved too. So that's a great path forward to keep a lot of that moving forward. But if they're going to be very serious and because like, I think a lot of Shiozaki right now, I do think it's interesting that he has not like, and Jake has made note of this in a lot of his interviews. Shiozaki has not come out to challenge Jake right away. And the- theoretically that's weird, right? With everything that Shiozaki is supposed to be has all of his, I am Noah. He really is like, we could get into a whole discussion and we will later about like what it is to be an ace and Noah right now and to work against three generations of people with that. Um, but Shio should have come out right away and challenged Jake, shouldn't he? And he has not. Um, can Shio, are, are they reserving Shio because he's back and he's healthy enough to wrestle, but like, is he ready to do the full title run, right? Coming off of the injuries that he's had. So there might be some of that in the mix as well, in which case, Katsuhiko might be at the forefront of Axis. I do think there is something to him um, pursuing Jake again and winning on a second challenge like Rachel was alluding to, um, especially because it seems like the way that he is sort of like framing this like dust off like the this like last like entire chapter of his life and like move on to like the next stage and like Jake in his um in his promos and talking about Katsuhiko, he he kept talking about how he he felt like this could be a turning point for himself, meaning Jake, but also this could be a turning point for Katsuhiko. Um, so Katsuhiko is at that turning point. And like, what is that going to mean to him, right? Well, it clearly means that now Axis is reformed, but also like that could mean like the next stage of like actually getting back to the GHC. So I think that that could wind up being the priority because the one thing that is compelling about Axis now compared to Axis originally is I think that people are starting to like not just like you know people like the wrestlers but like people like fans people are starting to lean into the fact that like Axis are not they're like you know people they try to sell you on like oh like these two cute like handsome guys they like have these cute little videos and like they like feed each other fucking spaghetti whatever the fuck they do that's what they try to like sell you on right but like the storyline of them especially right now these are two people in like a very complicated fraught relationship based off of um Katsuhiko being like desperate for like control um and also wanting to like use someone to like kind of get ahead and where he wants because he rejected um he left Congo because he felt like they didn't need him anymore. Well, now somebody needs him, Shio, when he's down and out. Now he can use that to get to where he needs to go. Um, and I think people are starting to cotton on to that and lean into that. Um, whereas like before, I felt like when we were talking about the Budokan shit and like Shio's insane stipulation about like, if you lose, you have to like be forcibly brought back into this tag team. <laughs> I feel like people were not picking up on like how insane but compelling that was right so i think that's like the one like plus of that right now is that like where everyone i think is starting to lean into like the axis is not like the cute baby face guys i think this is a different 
story that we're like fully leaning into because of all the work that they have done since like Shio came back the first time to set a lot of this up. So like there is a lot of room for like I think a couple of different paths here. It's just a matter of like it just comes back to like it just comes down to rather to the booking that we can't see right now. Like I, I cannot tell what they want to do with 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 Nakajima or like what their plans are for Shio based off of like all these different factors we're not going to know. So yeah, I don't know. That's 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 a lot of thoughts all at once, but like it's there's a lot of interesting things that are kind of I think laid out in front of us. It's just a matter of like where they're prepared to go in the booking, which we can't really predict. I love that. I love every thought you touched on. I think um we've covered sort of the the basics setup of the story. Like I said, the the wrestlers are doing a phenomenal job setting it up, making it really, really compelling. I did want to touch on uh, Keno's sort of role in the story. You you sort of hinted at that, um, how he, I have never <laughs> seen Keno this broken up over anything. Um, and, and that, you know, should sort of say a lot because I've followed this man's career pretty extensively. Keno operates very closely to Misawism. It's something that's very important to him. It's something that is sort of at the soul of Congo. Um, he does not chase those who leave and he welcomes those who come. And so right off the bat from this storyline, from this opening of the storyline, you have Nakajima offering Shiazaki to Congo. And then right there, you know, welcome those who come. That's That's a Congo thing. Keno can't do it because he despises Shiazaki. They they absolutely hate each other. Um, so you have him throwing away one ethos of Congo immediately. And then immediately after, you are starting to see this tension. He straight up says, like, I don't chase those who leave, but I will chase Nakajima and I will make him pay. And that's not Keno. That's, that's not something he does. So it's just really really fascinating the way that he intersects with this story and I do have to hand it to what's going on I don't like this reunion but it does end up elevating everybody and it makes it all very compelling you have um Keno Shupro column where he is usually very very logical and um really breaks down the story and is very calm he still speaks with this calm tone, but some of the things that he says about Nakajima in particular are so direct. And he he reads this man like a book. Um, I wanted to read just a couple of quotes that he says. Um, one thing is in response to the um in response to his decision is, well, it can't be helped that Nakajima has become his natural self who can't see what's going on around him and has no compassion for the feelings of others. He also says that Nakajima is a man with a massive desire for approval. He can't stand it if he isn't front and center. Um, he says that he's using Shiazaki because Shiazaki is an idiot who listens to everything he says. Um, it's very intense. 
but he's creating this really compelling story for Nakajima and Shiyazaki to latch onto, which is what Alicia was saying is that now, you know, people are really buying into this. People are really getting into the idea that axes are not inherently healthy and they could fall apart at any time. Um, probably my absolute favorite thing, and, and Twitter really enjoyed this when I posted that translation of the article on our blog, which I do encourage you guys to read and check out. Um, I don't post translations too often, so I was a little nervous doing it, but I am, um, I'm really happy with this. And he states, Axes on paper is destined to be an extremely strong tag team of two of Noah's top wrestlers, but looking deeper, they seem to be a tag team that is slowly killing each other. And I think that speaks for their storytelling ability. I think that speaks for Keno's storytelling ability, his ability to use all different kinds of media to create the story and create it is just really compelling. And I think it speaks to what Nakajima and Shiyazaki are doing with their characters as well. So I really, really wanted to shout that out and get some thoughts on, on that as well. I want to add something to that really quickly yes, about like just thinking back to, uh, when was it? It was when, it was when Nakajima won the N1 for the first time. And I wish I had better translations for this and if i can get better translation for this i will update this and put this on twitter but i remember when um shiozaki came out to confront nakajima after he won the n1 the first time um when shio was in his fourth reign katsukiko made a comment he used i think a turn of phrase in um japanese that was meant to describe like the phrase he wound up using i think when it was translated into english it was like you're a champion who goes in circles or who goes back and forth and the but the phrase when it's used in Japanese is meant to describe um like a woman usually in an abusive relationship that goes back and forth like leaves the relationship comes back leaves the relationship comes back which is a pretty intense way to refer to someone but what he was I think really referring to is like Shiozaki's trouble with Noah over the years right and like just the kind of summing up like Shiozaki's own relationship with Noah Shiozaki's rebuttal to that later backstage was saying he was he was essentially calling out um Katsuhiko and saying that he was like projecting he was saying when when Katsuhiko says something like that to me he is really talking about himself um which is again like perfect rebuttal because like Katsuhiko had like uh he was you know he was in Diamond Ring right Kensuke office for years um and then he came over to um he was working with Noah and then signed with Noah he had a tremendously like difficult first reign um, that he describes now as traumatic because he was not like well received. Um, and so he pushed that back onto Nakajima and said, when you're talking about me as like a champion who goes back and forth, like you're actually referring um, to uh, yourself. But when you think about those comments and you place it on top of what we are looking at with Axis right now, like, is that not what we're looking at as two people who are just like constantly going back and forth, but with each other? And it makes like, it's just like a profoundly sad note um, to these people who have like this intense shared history together. Like so much, and again, like we've talked about this before, but like so much of of Noah and the strength of the, the storytelling comes from these incredibly intense shared stories that are real and then get looped into this booking um, and storytelling through the wrestlers uh, that gets played out like, through Keno's columns and through some of the stuff that they say in their backstages. And it's just utterly fascinating. But I think that's kind of what Axis is. They're just, they keep going back and forth with each other. And to Keno's point, it is going to kill them. 
Lou, I know we just like lore dumped so much on you, but do you, do you have any thoughts on this? I know you're, you're our captive listener, but, uh, but no, I want to, I know your, your overall thoughts. I think you guys pretty much covered it. I mean, I'm not going to follow up with anything more insightful than this. Um, no, I think you guys perfectly covered the storyline implications here. And I do agree that now there is more awareness about these guys not being like the cute baby faces uh, like that they were a few years ago. And that adds a fun dimension to it. And... That's a, I'm a very simple guy. I, I'm just excited for the wrestling match. <laughs> <laughs> That's good because we do have a really exciting wrestling match coming up. Um, and that is going to be on the 31st at Shinjuku face between Keno and Nakajima. And I wanted to know your thoughts on that. And more than that, I wanted to know if you guys thought that they were jumping the gun too early on having this extremely interesting, compelling and intense tag team match between two former partners or do you think it's going to build to something new i know alicia already touched on some of her thoughts there how do you feel about this match are you are you hyped for it basically i don't know if it's too soon i'm just i think it's very cool that they're doing it at shinjuku face which <laughs> is a very intimate venue uh Everything sounds very uh, big in that venue. Like the the ring mat is super loud. The strikes are super loud. So the fact that we're getting Keno and Nakajima in singles action in that sort of setting, uh, that sounds amazing. It's going to be the strikes are going to like sound like gunshots. It's it's. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, that's my that's my take on it. That's a really good point. I didn't even think about the acoustics of Shinjuku and they did sell out that show by the way um so that's, that's very exciting I, I was excited to to see that so it's going to be a really lively crowd too so that's really exciting Alicia what do you think I think you can tell that by the amount of people on Twitter who complained about the venue like you can tell all those people are not all Japan fans because we prefer <laughs> when our wrestling is in basements um so like that was really funny to me I think this is the perfect venue choice I'm like so stoked about that all on its own I think you needed to have this match especially with the intensity of like Keno's comments and like there was no way to not have this match I'm in between right now how I feel about it potentially being like a blow-off match because Noah Noah does that sometimes in their booking like you'll have like this like kind of like intense like thing come to an end and then they go to like a blow-off match between two guys and that's pretty much all you get out of like that for a really long time I don't know how I feel about that being a blow-off match um between them but because again like I think the thing that's making me hopeful is that Keno has 86 belts on him right now so like like I think it would be really weird and especially with like the the implications for like all together coming up with like certain things happening like Keno's not going to be in like a match where this would matter but like with just certain little things that are coming up um with more participation between all Japan and Noah this year like I am looking forward to like a way for Katsuhiko and Kento to get back like in front of each other um and like Kento will have something to say if like Axis are going to be the ones challenging um Congo for the the world belts after this right like Congo still has to get through like their defense with Suama whatever I'm just assuming that Congo are going to win um so that's where we are. Hopefully that's going to be the case. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I'll feel, I think, a little strange and sad if that Shinjuku face becomes the blow-off match. Um, I'm just going to assume that it won't for now and that we're just going to get like 
cooler things that keep coming up as a result we'll still build on some more story because again like that's the one thing i can say is that even though it's like it's fucking weird and it's not what i would have done and there was more to do with like the other shit that was going on there's like a million and one opportunities now for like really cool story stuff so i just hope that noah also sees it that way I'm on my 18th layer of copium at this point where I I wouldn't even mind if it was a pull-off match. Um, I just I just want this to go well. And I want, um, like you said, that that's really what it is, is I want Noah to see the value in the story that they're telling. And I want to see um Keno and Nakajima's rivalry continue with um intensity, even if this is a match where and and you actually see this all the time is that um after somebody leaves Congo, they usually get a singles match with Keno. And um Keno always gets the pin, which in itself is very compelling because I don't know that Keno's winning this one. Um, I don't really want him to win this one. Like Alicia said, I would love that for this to be a uh, pin that leads to Nakajima challenging or even a um, a draw or in my ideal world, a double KO. But um, there's there's a lot of different things. There's a million different paths we could do, but um, I don't necessarily want this to be just another Congo, former Congo guy gets his match with Keno to say goodbye. Um, there is a beauty in that in some ways. Um, there's a lot of story you could do with Nakajima, especially after their um, exchange on the uh, the show on the 14th. They had this really great kick exchange that looked for one second like it could, Nakajima could maybe deny Keno this exchange that they've always had throughout you know their entire career, but he doesn't because it's important to them. There's There's something really compelling that we could get out of sort of a blow-off match of them, you know, going their separate ways and agreeing to be rivals. But at the same time, we don't really want it to be just another Congo goodbye match. So the, the it's not necessarily a rock in a hard place because I think there's a lot of good ways it can go. But like Alicia said, there's there's got to be a lot of um a lot of belief um from Noah, a lot of support from Noah to uh to see how these stories play out and and let these stories play out. So I hope that they they'll do that. And I do have faith in the wrestlers um, that they will be able to tell these stories uh, no matter where the booking goes. So (laughs) with our thoughts on Axis out of the way, at least for the moment, I would like to get into the main event. But before that, I would like to get into Jake Lee's title run. Um, We've barely talked about Jake Lee and and that's a crime because he's got some incredible stuff going on and it ties really really tightly into um i am noah and the i am noah storyline the implications there like that's that's really the meat of what's going on um with with noah right now and and what's going on with jake lee so um we have his first match where he won the belt against kaito kiyomiya um and i know you guys watched that match and have some thoughts on that match and i would love for your thoughts on it because like I said I think that's what really kicked us off into this being about I am Noah and this being about Jake Lee's journey through Noah so go ahead and let me know what you thought about Jake Lee versus Kaito I will say that um the current situation with GHC heavyweight champion Jake Lee is a the ultimate best case scenario for Jake uh, right now, um, just 
the, the way they brought him in made him feel like a serious deal, like a, like the most dangerous outside wrestler. And now having him run through the Noah legends, um, when you take that and you look at his ups and down in all Japan, it's like night and day. Like they, he's never felt like a bigger deal. Um, the Kaito match was my least favorite of the three. It was a very good match. Um, I don't want to be the uh, the guy that complains about long wrestling matches because there's no more bo- there's there's not a more boring criticism than complaining about oh, this match was too long. Uh, but that first one, the match with Kaito, I felt like considering the story they were telling, which was just Jake outclassing Kaito on every level. I thought it would have it would have been better if a bit shorter, kind of like Kaito's matches with Okada, or or actually the the later Jake's matches with Marufuji and Nakajima were more on the twenty minutes side of things. Um, but it did get the job done in presenting Jake as this like really dominant figure uh, that is coming over to take over Noah, basically. Um, I thought Kaito looked really good. Uh, he doesn't lose anything from ending his reign to Jake Lee. He's he's the kind of guy that's going to be around for for a while. He's going to get other reigns. Uh, but right now we're in, we're having this Jake Lee story. I think it's really cool that Jake is feeling like like a big piece of the Noah puzzle right now. Like he just recently changed the red on his gloves to green. Uh, I think that says everything. Like he feels like a top guy in pro wrestling, Noah, um, and it also feels like we're gonna get the the Jake Lee main event treatment that we never fully got in All Japan. And I guess the Kaito match, even if it was a bit uneven or too long for me, it was a good start to uh, getting there. I actually recently figured out what it is about the Kaito stuff that isn't hitting. And I really like the Kaito match. Like I, like I, I liked it the first time I watched it. I think I watched it now three times. Um, and I've liked it each time I've watched it. I especially really love um, like the final like couple of stretches because like that builds into an intensity where Kaito has to like have that oh fuck moment of like, I don't know how to get this guy down. I have no idea how to do it. And like, you can see the panic start to set in where he's hitting Jake with like everything that he has and Jake just keeps coming. And like, it's so awesome. Like it just builds beautifully um, into that final stretch. Um, I, I I love it. But I think the issue, the story that him and, and Kaito are telling in particular is one where again, like Kaito is acting like, you know, I've never... I've never fought a man who's six, four. So he's, he's like, you know, I, I, this man is so big. Everyone here is five, four. I have no idea how to fight this man. It's like, like the story he's, he's telling, but I think that like Kaito is the flaw that it's exposing in Kaito is that Kaito is actually so good at wrestling and such a savant of wrestling. He doesn't know how to lean into that part of the story. It's, he's not very good at acting like he doesn't know how to beat Jake. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's I think that that was exposed to me through the most recent like multi-man that they just had it was like GLG versus like I don't remember who was on Kaito's side who wasn't even who was even in that match Seiki Yoshioka um, Atsushi Kotoge and Sugira oh well no wonder I couldn't remember 50% of the people in that tag but 
it was exposed to me in that match because Kaito did the most insane, like looking weird. Like I know he knows how to sweep a leg. And then I know, I also know, know that he knows how to do like spider guard. I know he knows how to do these things um, because like they are taught, like they are cross-trained in multiple disciplines in the Noah dojo. Like they've always been this way. Um, he acts like he doesn't know how to fucking fight anyone when, like when he, when he's in front of Jake. And like, I think it's because he just, he's, he's been given a certain storyline and he doesn't know how to like lean into that, that type of storytelling. And it's exposing that kind of weird, like storytelling character flaw for him. It's weird, but I think that's what it is because like when watching this match back, like last night or two nights ago, like he's in side control with Jake, like Jake puts him into side control and like, he's acting like Ogawa never taught him how to get out of side control. And it's like, there's a lot of light in there, son. Like Jake's not even like leaning like his, with his full body weight on you. You can get out, you know how to get out. So like, that's the part where I think they spent a little bit too much time at the beginning of that match. You could have cut that like in half and just like really gotten to the rest of the match. So like, I I'm, I'm with you though. I think parts of that are like really clunky. It just took me a while to figure out like why. And I think it's part of it is because like, Kaito, I know you can get out of side control. That's so weird. That's so fucking weird. So anyway, there's there's that. But I want to touch on what you're saying about like Jake and sort of like the way, like his identity within Noah right now and like how that's playing out because I've seen like, people just can't stop tweeting weird things about Jake Lee. That's kind of like the, the, the gimmick, I guess. But like, I tweeted about this. Like to me, like right now, like Jake, there is no one more equipped as a quote unquote outsider coming into Noah to thrive than Jake Lee. There is no one who like can benefit and thrive under like Misawaism and freedom and faith than Jake Lee. But that's because people I think today don't realize how spiritually connected all Japan um, and Noah still are through their history, um, through the like the teaching of the wrestling. Like um, Jake as like an, an all Japan trained wrestler, like 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 that history is there. Like he knows this promotion. They are all spiritually connected through the history and through the training um, between these two promotions. But also trivia time. Who trained Jake Lee? Don't say Muto. Who trained Jake Lee? Akiyama. Akiyama and Aoki. Aoki's Noah born, right? So who is more like equipped to walk into this promotion and really understand it? And when he was getting into... Like they've been doing these beautiful interviews with Jake, like all these like teeing up all his matches, which I think has been really helpful if you want to really understand him. And like he literally sums up like the Noah wrestler sort of like how you would summarize them beautifully. He says like how they think is like I struggle, I suffer, I think, I devise, I act. And that's how I got to where I am today. Like that's him summarizing the Noah wrestler and the Noah fight. And like there if all of those things that you can pick out in that that is Jake Lee as a human being. There is no one more equipped to thrive in this promotion than Jake. And that's why it's so like thrilling to watch him go through each of these matches, but also like he got through Kaito and then we get into like some of the more heavy hitters. And it's like, this is just like, this is perfect for him. But also to what Lou was saying as well, like if you kind of rode the wave of all Japan with him, like we have seen him through like tremendously high highs, but also like the lowest of anyone's lows they've ever had in a fucking single career. And it is so satisfying to see him have, especially if you just focus on the Nakajima and Marfuji matches, like two stellar matches where like there was the the mar- the room for like error on this. There was no margin for error with him. He had to nail these. He had to nail these. And not because people on Twitter think he sucks. That's not interesting and that's not compelling to me. 
those opinions are really irrelevant at this point. But because of where he's positioned right now in Noah, but also as an, in the industry and the impact that him leaving All Japan made going into Noah, he could not fail. This had to be bulletproof in the execution. Um, and he has nailed it so far. And it's just so thrilling to see him having done that and like how painful this decision was for him to leave All Japan and come over to Noah. But I think it also goes to show you like how many other people could benefit from changes like this and just like like going to new promotions like you know training with new people he is clearly like thriving training with glg and having that little team with him like they're all together all the time taking photos of each other like they are always in the dojo i think that's really nice like and like i think especially as we get into the match with marafuji he so benefited from working with marafuji there's so much to say about like how much he benefited from working with marafuji so yeah it's just been uh it's been great so yeah kaito match very good if again again if you haven't reviewed like the videos of him talking about these matches before he has them you you need to like every time i watch those i pick up on something else that he says that is fucking fascinating so like definitely watch those if you haven't already i really um loved what you were saying there with um this sort of idea of jake having the soul of noah um just sort of being predisposed um to just fitting in and, and being a part of noah um, because I find that really interesting. Uh, there's this article by um, Hikaru Inoue. It's actually about axes, but um, he points out how many belts in Noah are now in the hands of outsiders and, and cites Jake at the helm of Noah. But you don't get that same feeling, like say in All Japan right now, where that's really the overarching storyline of All Japan is, is these belts are all in the hands of outsiders. Um, but you don't get that feeling. And that's really because, you know, Jake is, um, what was that that line by um, Osano? He wrote this beautiful article on Jake. Do you remember, uh, Alicia, what he, what he said about it? So Kagehiro Osano wrote a piece for the Noah blog that's just like a really nice, like almost like bio piece and then just sort of like explainer on Jake. And one of the headlines in the article, he says that Jake is like, he has the spirit of the Royal Road that seems both foreign and nostalgic. So touching on that like outsider gimmick because Jake is coming in from all Japan. Um, but again, like he, he is trained like in like the quote unquote Royal Road style of wrestling, right? So um, the Royal Road style of wrestling, you know, gives birth to pro wrestling Noah. So that's why there is like that nostalgic piece of Jake Lee, or at least it should feel nostalgic to you if you know um you know the history and you're kind of invested in, in Noah that way but all of this stuff kind of bleeds together and again like I think it's really important to keep in mind um Jake's principal trainers when he was like really like when he came back to all Japan um in 2015 and was like really learning how to be a wrestler um and to understand character and story like all of that comes from Akiyama and Aoki so like Noah Noah people right um all of that's really important Beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that because I, I really wanted to, to get you to touch on that one. Um, the next match that we had for Jake's reign was against um, Nakashima Katsuko uh, back when he was in Congo, <laughs> single tear running down my face. Um, but uh, yeah, the, this match was incredible. And Lou, you really, really liked it, right? I loved it. Um, to me, that was like Jake Lee doing a like a perfect uh, Nakajima match. They did they did a lot of the classic Nakajima tropes and I was shocked at how well Jake fits into them. Uh they do have similar styles as in the the well Jake kicks once in a while, Katsuiko kicks all the time. 
and they both like making crazy faces. Uh, so in that sense, it was a good fit. And this is one, I guess Jake started doing it in the Kaito match, but it really hit me more in this one where they're really selling Jake as his gimmick right now is, is being, he's just extremely tall. That is the Jake Lee Noah gimmick. He's taller, he's taller than everyone. And his wrestling style is leaning into it more than it was in all Japan. And I think it's really cool. And it's it's very simple things. Like in the Nakajima match, he's doing a lot of like just body slams, which is like the most basic move you can think of. But he's doing it in a way where it looks like death. He's just body slamming the shit out of Nakajima. He does one on the floor, uh, which looked like death. And um, he also does a really cool back body drop, which is another super simple move. But the way he does it, it looks like it could kill someone. Um, and th- we we spoke about the uh, the Jake Lee slash Jun Akiyama connection, and in a lot of these simple moves executed in such brutal ways, I feel there's a lot of Akiyama, like especially the body slam on the floor, which Akiyama used to do all the time on freaking Black Mensore, amongst other people. Yeah. Um, but also the, the back body drop was a classic Akiyama spot when whenever he was against smaller wrestlers like Marufuji, for instance, whenever Marufuji and Akiyama were in the same match, Akiyama would back body drop the shit out of Marufuji, who would take like these amazing bumps. And I feel there's a lot of that going on in these recent Jake Lee matches, and I really enjoy it. I think it's a it's a better side of him than what he was doing sometimes in his triple crown reign, where he would try to do these sort of more classic heel wrestling things of like choking people or these I don't know heelish tropes. Here it feels like he's bringing it back to the basics, but in a in an interesting way. Um, yeah, that's that's and it all became even more obvious in the Marufuji match, but this this match with Nakajima was great. Um, yeah, just great. Great stuff. All your sentiments are are wonderful. I mean, you hit on everything about, like, why this match and the wrestling is so good. And I think this match gets better even, like, on subsequent rewatches. It's just a really, really good, well-thought-out match, and I really loved the double KO in this, too. I'm so glad they ran that spot. You could tell they were so fucking excited to do that. Just two nerds. <laughs> There was a lot to love um, about this. And again, like the the promo that Jake did in the video for this was so interesting. You could tell that he really, really respects um, Nakajima and like respects like his career and respects him as like probably another martial artist. Um, so a lot of that is really, really interesting. Um, that's also the, the uh, segment where you get like Jake really starting to talk about like um like what he is like motivated by right now and talking about like his anxieties and like how he has like all these feelings all the time about being in Noah but like that you know he's often motivated by um if he's like you know if he's uh what he says exactly I often ask myself are you okay with who you are so like all of that like going into the Nakajima match and keeping that in mind is just like really interesting and really compelling we talk about a lot of that in our um next dream 1.0 um episode that we just did that talks a lot about Jake and these types of comments but um yeah I thought that like a lot of this was just like so um 
tremendous. Um, and the spot that I really loved, and it's a spot that comes back to haunt Katsuhiko a lot and the decisions that he makes in his matches, the spot with Katsuhiko and the forearms um, with Jake is a really telling part of the match. Um, he has done this before. He did this with Shio during um, their title match when Shio was the champion during Shio's fourth reign. Um, I talk about like spots like that a lot. I talked about it actually in the episode with Jake um, and Kento and their rivalry. Um, but when wrestlers like take that time to not go for a pin and to not capitalize, um, that's always like betraying something else that's there, right? Betraying some sort of emotion or some other part of a story. And for Katsuhiko, um, he was so caught up in wanting to punish Jake for being someone who just sort of walked into the company and got so far with the belt um, very quickly. And then, you know, Katsuhiko's, you know, feelings about kind of being on this losing streak and what that means for him and like, you know, his feelings about being, um, being Noah and like how he views himself as what's the word he uses now to describe his place in Noah. Helmsman. He's the helmsman of Noah and like what that means to him um, instead of like really capitalizing and like going again for like a pin, like really like doing something that would like keep Jake like down definitively. He goes for these elbows reminiscent of that spot in the match with Shiyazaki and Katsuhiko pays for it because Jake is able to like get up and start the ending sequence that just like builds and builds until he's able to put Katsuhiko away. And it's like this very, very um, compelling um, character flaw in Katsuhiko um, that is Katsuhiko you know he makes a, fa a fatal flaw and then you see Jake really double down on like on the GHC and like wanting to like you know maintain um, uh, being the champion of that company so it's, it's just it's just fascinating um, all the way around but yeah what a what a tremendous match and like Lou was saying like there's so much of like to me like that's such a Noah match that like it's so fascinating to me that people get stuck on again like jake being an outsider and i don't know if people are keep getting tripped up by the fact that like it's jake's fault it's because he's not clear about what he's doing he's a freelancer we don't know where he's going um he did he uh, i guess it was last friday um he had his final interview um for uh naturalizing um becoming a japanese citizen so things are going to be changing for him rapidly from here perhaps um but I think people are so caught up on him being this outsider and what that means that they're not realizing that like, yeah, like he's from all Japan. He's not signed, but actually like he's, he's so like, he's exactly where he needs to be right now. Like he is really like through these matches, he is like imbuing like these different, like parts of Noah and different histories of Noah. And also like Lou was saying, like, so much of that match looked like old Noah matches, like Katsuhiko like sailing through the air. Like that absolutely looks like Marafuji, like having to take those bumps off of like Akiyama Misawa. Um, so like, yeah, like that's, yeah. It's like these matches to me feel like, especially as you progress through them, they become so incredibly Noah, but like only Jake Lee is like, like, like he is the only outsider, right? That could be like prime to have these matches. You're not going to have a match like this out of like Wagner Jr. Um, you're just not because he doesn't have the same background as Jake. So like, I wish people would, I guess, keep that in mind. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And um, just really comes down to Jake Lee as the quote unquote new helmsman um, and, and taking the helm of the arc right now and steering it. However, then after this match, Mara Fuji comes out and challenges and states, your steering makes me seasick, which I, I just love that quote so much. 
Um, and so now you have this match that we are leading into talking about here um, with this Rogoku show. And that's Jake Lee versus Mara Fuji, which is just very, very clearly about Noah on a large scale. We have Jake, you know, before this match talking about Mara Fuji's um, coming into his 25th anniversary year and Mara Fuji needing to step down. Um, actually, he states him that Mara Fuji needs someone to quote unquote erase him from Noah and to prove that Noah isn't 100% Mara Fuji, like Noah does not equal Mara Fuji and, and to hand it over to another generation, which was just a really, really heavy and interesting concept for a match. Um, and that's, that's sort of what leads us into this match. And I wanted to know, obviously your thoughts on it. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I love this match. I thought this, it's a toss up to me between the Nakajima and Mara Fuji match, which one's my favorite. Um, I think this one might be my favorite upon rewatch. Uh, but yeah, I really wanted to hear your thoughts on it. That one was my favorite for sure. Um, I think it is very telling that Mara Fuji put in this kind of performance uh, against Jake Lee. Uh, for, I, I'm I'm a, I'm an on and on Noah watcher, but for me, this was like the best Marufuji performance since like I would say his title challenge against Nakajima, which was like 2021, I think. Uh, so that's like almost two years. Um, this was like Marufuji at his big match best, and considering Jake has said in interviews that like Marufuji was, was his favorite wrestler when he was young or something like that. Like one of the wrestlers that he liked when, no, <laughs> I, I'm going off. It, I, please, okay. please correct me. No, what so, did he say? Oh, so, so basically, and this is, I was joking with Rachel because the way he tells this Marufuji story, I was like, he, he gave a fucking story to be respectful to Marufuji in the press. That's amazing. But I don't uh, think he, I don't think he was, I don't think he was kayfaving. And in reviewing what he said, I think he was probably being truthful. Jake never watched wrestling growing up. When he got to college, which I think would have been around 2006, 2010, like that would have been when he was in college because he debuted for All Japan in like January, or no, went to the dojo in January, 2011. So what he what he said happened was that when he was in college, like people he was friends with were watching wrestling and they kept talking about Mara Fuji, Mara Fuji, Mara Fuji. So his first exposure to any like real professional wrestling was watching a Mara Fuji match with people because people were talking about Mara Fuji. And he just like, I'm actually going to talk about what he says about Mara Fuji in a minute, but like that to him was his like, that's like his Mara Fuji thing was like, wow, like people like human beings can move like this like that's like you know a very jake lee fucking sentiment but like that's his thing like, like he never knew wrestling until he was in college um and his friends introduced him to that thank you for pointing that out and correcting me um but yeah that's the the the, the fact that we got this level of marufuji i think says a lot about how noah view jake lee right now uh match was the best of the three title matches for me um just a super exciting Ryo Goku main event with like, I you could I guess you could tell Jake knew he was doing like the super special Marufuji match and he let him lead for a while. But it was I think it was a good decision because Marufuji did so much cool shit in this match. He was so creative, and just the fact that he threw out like the. Shiranui on the apron, the top rope, Shiranui, like all of his biggest moves, having Jake kick out of everything. It really like 
made Jake feel like a big deal, like like the new like the, the new guy who could like survive all of this. Um, and yeah, I, the, the the points that I mentioned earlier about Jake working more to his size now, I think was even it was even more uh, noticeable in this match. Uh, from from Marufuji's bumping, but also Jake's choice of offense, and uh, yeah, the, it's was just a kind of match that just builds and builds and builds, and like these these this final sequence was just insane with the place just going nuts, and I think it's really cool that they got Jake's uh, big big front kick over as a finish because for all Japan viewers. That was basically a, a transition move for Jake. It wasn't like a finish, but starting in the Nakajima match where he took this insane, like flipping bump for it, I think I started really buying it as a finish. And the way they did it here uh, really sold me on it as well. Um, yeah, just a wonderful match, really no complaints. And uh, just made me excited for the next defense against Sugura, which I'm just super happy they're continuing this whole stretch of like just Jake running through the legends and just positioning himself as a, a guy, like an important figure in present day pro wrestling Noah. So many awesome sentiments. Uh, I think, where do I even begin with this? I think that Mara Fuji was like, the, so much of this match is like, why I am such a huge fan of Mara Fuji in general. Um, his generosity with someone like a Jake Lee, like is so evident um, in everything that they did in this match together. And and something that I, I, I've talked about a few times and I tried not to like lean into it every time only because like, I don't really want to quote from his follow me um, too much because it is behind a paywall. And I respect the fact that he puts these comments behind paywall. I think the tone and this is not directed at you at all Lou I just think that like there's always this tone of surprise with Mara Fuji that like these matches are few and far between with him I don't think people realize the amount of pain that he lives with um and where he is right now with his body and his career if he did this every match um he wouldn't make it like he just wouldn't he would fall apart um so I I I hope that people listening keep keep in mind like what a fucking blessing it is to have someone like him like his mind like to have all these things that he can bring to a match still like he's still here and he's still doing this um but he can't do it all the time and that's why we don't see it that's why like he he really only brings it out when it matters and like that's why it's also important to pay attention to when it matters like that's why we saw it here that's why we saw it in the nakajima and one final like there's there's always a reason for why um you know he's bringing it out so all that being said, I, I thought that the comments that Jake made about him and the package leading into this match were so interesting. Because again, Jake doesn't approach any of this um, the way that other people do because he wasn't a wrestling fan growing up. He was watching Pride and like uh, K1 and shit. Um, he wasn't watching wrestling. So when he talks about that story about like how he learned of Mara Fuji for the first time, which again was when he was in college and his friends were talking about Mara Fuji, he was amazed that Mara Fuji, like the way that he moved, like he's like, he couldn't believe that human beings could move like that. Um, but the other thing that he says about Mara Fuji that like, I really was like locked on about last night. Um, he says, besides what he said was so radical at that time, 
awesome. There are people like him. He's sort of like narrating the experience of like what he was thinking about Marfuji. I think that that's such an easy thing to, for people to overlook when they're listening to Jake talk about someone like Marfuji. Um, because, you know, most of us people that are listening to this, us on the call, we're not Japanese. We're not immersed in the, the culture and we don't really speak the language. So um, I think it's, it's something that is easily missed, but it's so important to, I think, take a step back and realize what he's saying. He's saying that at the time, like, someone that didn't watch wrestling like Jake Lee, like that Mara Fuji, what he was saying at the time was radical. It made a cultural impact beyond even wrestling. What he, what he was saying at the time was radical. And for that to make a impact across Japanese culture in particular, that's really important. And I think that's something that that's a perspective we don't really get, I think. So I wanted to highlight that because I thought that was really interesting. And I think it's just a very unique perspective that Jake brings um, to these reflections with something like that. But um, there was so much about this match to to love. I thought that, like, again, like seeing like the way Mara Fuji pulled out some of those Sharanui's was fucking crazy. Um, the one off the apron was was bananas. I couldn't believe that. That was something like out of like a Maru Ken match, like a Maru Ken singles match. That was nuts. Nice. The corner to corner drop kick, my god, that looked fucking cool. Um, the first shirt, or rather the second Sharanui that Mar Maru um lands in the ring, like jake's body like the way that like he sailed over like during that like it looked beautiful and like you could tell i think that they practiced like there was i think work that was put into this like this was just so beautifully done together i commented on twitter afterwards like jake's selling in this was fucking amazing like i don't think i've seen him sell this well i really don't and i like jake's work like i, I like jake's work a lot apparently you know what i mean like but i uh like this was to me like the best selling of his career Jake always has like, I think those little details where like, you can tell he knows what he's going for in his brain, but like, he's got big man syndrome where it doesn't translate to the rest of the body. But I think he's getting better with a lot of that. Um, he does like things outside of wrestling to help with that. I think the jujitsu helps. I think that his parkour classes help, but I think that like working with different people and like working with someone like Mara Fuji, I think like you could see the impact of that in that match and how this has helped him. And like, that was really cool. Um, so yeah, this just had classic spots. The ref bump was fucking fascinating the way that they used the the bump uh with the ref, but like the fact that it was Mara Fuji who initiated it, like I loved seeing it because um I think that like a weird interpretation I've seen floating around about this match is that like Mara Fuji's not trying to win. Mara Fuji's absolutely trying to win this match. Like he's absolutely trying to be champion. He's disappointed when he doesn't win. Um that's not a good a good way to frame the kayfabe around the match um but like that he did it that like he's like that like he's because he's like genius of the arc right like he's kind of like wily um he does things like that so like i just loved the way that they did it in the match it just like it kind of made sense like it didn't come across like the way that we don't like ref bumps and shit from all japan um so yeah like i just thought that like for whatever for what that was i thought that it was like really um fascinating and I'm trying to see if i have anything else here um about the the rest of this but i you know jake made it a point when when the match was over uh to say to mara fuji like you're not rotten like because that was the whole thing is like mara fuji said in the challenge like you know i maybe you know there's other stronger guys you know that could come out and challenge you whatever you know, I, I, I'm, I'm rotten. My, and he's referring to his body. Like my body is rotten, that sort of thing. But Jake made it the point to like, tell him like, you're not rotten. Um, which is really interesting. And, um, the timing, like Lou, like, you know, alluded to before of like Jake having the green gloves for this match. Like, 
um that's not like uh it's not accidental like that's like he's like he I, I hate this idea that people think that he might only be intellectualizing Noah's like like being a part of Noah like I don't like that um I, I think that's a really weird way to frame a lot of this given who he is and how he speaks and how like clear his backstages have been and also the Osana interview but like um this is him imbuing these parts of Noah. Do we know where it's going to go? Like if he's going to sign? No. But it doesn't mean that he can't imbue these parts of Noah and like take these parts of Noah with him because again, he's has that spiritual connection to the the, the promotion anyway. So yeah, um, I think that he picked up a lot um, in here and like he talked a lot about like learning the history of Noah through um, Mara Fuji. And like, like we've been saying, like you get so much of Mara Fuji's own history in this and like how that's all tied together. So yeah, just a phenomenal match. Yeah, that's uh, beautifully said. I, um, I, I feel very much the same. Lou, what did you think about the ref bump just while we're on the subject? It, it was surprisingly well done. It felt like something like, um, I don't know if you've seen any recent, well, I guess not even that recent, but I've seen a similar kind of spot done by Evil in New Japan, where he gets sort of a ref assist to do his own move. I thought it was like a version of that, but like cooler. It also reminded me of, what's the match? There's a classic like early 2000s KG Muto tag team match. It's like a, a Keiji Muto dream match where he's like, he's in there with Hiroshi Hase. And I think he's in there with Akiyama and Nagata, probably like 2001 or something like that. And they do something very similar to this, where I think it's Muto who either uses the ref or his own partner to do a shining wizard, like springing off the back. And it reminded me of that. And I think when Marufuji did it, they actually cut to Muto on commentary to, to get his thoughts on his shine to get his shining wizard approval essentially um so yeah it was cool it was a cool spot yeah and um i'm also glad that you mentioned after the match um alicia because then we we really start to get uh this i am noah sort of with jake and um jake talks about what each match so far has given him Kaito Kiyomiya has given him the future of Noah and um, Nakajima has given him the strength of Noah. And now with Marafuji, he now has the history of Noah and uh, that, that leads to what's next. And I'm going to answer that question of what, what's next in just a second. But I also wanted to read Marafuji's backstages um, because I just, I thought they were beautiful. And I thought it also touched on what you were saying, Alicia, with people thinking that Marafuji didn't want to win um, because he, he straight up does say in the backstage, I'm going to read it real quick. It was a loss. Didn't you say you had to win today, Marafuji, right? Says talking to himself. I really did think it was the right time to win, but the results speak for themselves. Well, I'll live to see another day. Oh, and one more thing, Jake Lee. Thanks for coming to Noah. And I thought that was just a lovely sentiment. Jake does respond to that in his own backstages. He says, thank you for having me. Um, and when the, uh, the, the common or the uh, journalists sort of bring that up. Um, and I just, I, I think that's really sums it up is thank you for coming to Noah. Um, in regards to what's next, Jake Lee um, sort of goes up on mic. He has this really good mic segment, just really fun there aren't a whole lot of mic guys in Noah so it's it's really good to see you know this sort of smooth talking like smug sort of uh just very confident on mic it's, it's just really great to see 
especially out of our champion. And um, he sort of teases like next up is next up is, which in Japanese is Sugiwa. And uh, of course that sounds like Sugiwa, <laughs> Sugira. Um, and that did turn out to be our next challenger. And um, he called out Sugira. Sugira did not challenge himself actually. Um, what happened was uh, that apparently Jake was thinking about calling out Kaito again. But after their tag match and Kaito's incredibly horrible spider guard. It was the shit spider guard. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was the shit spider guard. Um, literally, basically, Jake says, you're not him. He's like, I was thinking about challenging you, but mm, no, it's not you. And then he, uh, Sugira is trying to leave Hurricane Hall and he uh, calls Sugira into the ring and uh, Sugira accepts. And in the backstages of the Rogoku show, Jake sort of goes, well, maybe the next thing is the determination of Noah. And then um, a lot of journalists have jumped on this. And I've been seeing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of chatter saying, oh, well, the next step is the determination of Noah. And that's Sugira. And now that Sugira has um, challenged, everyone is calling him the determination of Noah, which I just think is really cool that Jake is not only creating this narrative for himself, but now he's creating these titles for his challengers, which just really even furthers the importance of them and this I am Noah storyline, because now we have this real tangible title for what Sugira is in the I am Noah storyline. Like he's he's the you know gatekeeper, he's the guardian, he's the determination. And I, I just think that's really um awesome. So yeah, what are your thoughts on um Sugira? challenging i know lou said you said you were really excited for this match i want to hear your thoughts to, to me sugira sounds like another just perfect opponent for jake um when jake turned heel in like a few years ago in all japan he did a lot of like stylistic changes where uh, you know you had his his method acting techniques of the evil <laughs> laughter and just just acting more sarcastic overall and uh, it's not always what you would call good, even if it really entertains me a lot. But what I found in these last few matches is that he's, especially against Nakajima and Marufuji, is that he's being able to do these sort of like stylistic ticks of his heel turn in more organic ways where it doesn't really take away from matches, but he just does them in more natural ways. And to me, Sugura, he has such a physical, like no bullshit kind of style that I think we're going to see uh, Jake Lee keep going in that, in that direction of just fighting more naturally while still integrating his uh, method acting techniques. <laughs> I think that sounds about right. Yeah. This match is like every third thought for me right now. I'm really, um, I'm just tremendously excited. I love um, Sukira. I, uh, I I cannot wait to see what this match really looks like when they put it together. Um, there's just so much that's like going for it in terms of their like their styles. Um, it should be it should be tremendous. I'm interested to see who walks away with the belt. I think it will be Jake. Um, but Sugira is always like the like the one person that can fuck up your reign. <laughs> so um, it's like, and it's very possible that Sugira can walk away with the belt here. Like he like he doesn't have the tag belts right now. Like he doesn't have um, 
affection. Um, so this is actually a fairly dangerous Sugira for Jake Lee to challenge as far as like, you know, Sugira and Noah goes. So I'm interested to see the direction that we go here, but I'm excited. I think determination is probably the right word for um, Sugira when you look back at Sugira's um, career uh, in Noah. Like Marafuji, he has always stayed. He has never left. Um, he is very much like the steward of of Noah. Um, you know, he plays like this very particular um, protective role um, of uh, of the company. And um, I think determination just is, you know, is just a, a good word. Like they, like him and Marafuji, but you know, certainly Sugira as well. Like they they were in the trenches when this company like was not going to be a company anymore, but they persisted. Um, so to call him the determination of, of Noah, um, I think that absolutely makes um, a ton of sense. And it's exciting to see what might happen when he meets Jake in the ring. So this brings the question, um, do you think Sugira is going to win? And if not, who do you think or want to see ultimately dethrone Jake? I don't think Sugiria is going to win the match. Um, who should dethrone Jake Lee? I guess it depends how they go forward with axes and what they do next with them. Like we mentioned earlier, Shiozaki felt like a very natural next challenger. Uh, now it's unclear if they're going with axes to save the tag team division or if they're just like a part-time tag team or whatever. All I know is that I would really like to see a Jake Lee versus Shiozaki match. Really, that's the bottom line for me. That match sounds pretty fucking great. I want to see it happen. So those are my thoughts. Good thoughts? Uh... I do think Jake will defeat Sugira. I desperately want to see Jake versus Shio. I don't know that I want Shio to defeat Jake. I'm still stuck on the idea of Nakajima coming back and defeating Jake. Short of like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who else I would want at this point to defeat defeat him. Because I don't know that we have anyone else that's like really prepared to be GHC Heavyweight Champion right now. Um, so I, I do think that like access is, is what happens there is going to be really important. Um, yeah, so I'll say I'll say Katsuhiko. I'll say I, that's who I would ideally at this point want to circle back to and defeat Jake. Although like he, the way that Jake keeps bringing up Kaito, because he brought him up in like mm. a more recent video package too of like, well, Kaito's got to come back and he's got to blah, blah, blah. It's like, well... My problem with Kaito is you yelled at him, like literally were mean to him in the ring before you called out Sugira, and Kaito just kind of took that from you. So I think that Kaito has to learn how to tell people to go fuck themselves, like audibly, and then Kaito can come back and have another challenge, like, because that looked really silly. (laughs) So you guys are going to get my deepest, most internet, innermost thoughts that don't end up on twitter.com. And that's that Kaito should join Congo and learn to be mean. And then he can take the belt from Jake Lee after, after learning a little lesson at um, Tenno school for boys who, who can't promo good. Um, But I, I want, I want to see him get his teeth and, and just really tap into that, like that guy that kicked Okada um, right. That's what we really need to see from Kaito. And we could see that against Jake and he can come back and he can sort of learn to fight these big guys. They might be setting up that story. 
we might be getting it, but we're not getting it right now. And we're not seeing this anger boiling over with Kaito. He's just sort of existing. And um, I would like to see, I could see him feasibly being built to beat Jake Lee, but whether I want that right now, not so much. Um, I feel the exact same way about Sugira Shiyazaki. I would like to see him fight them. I would like to see him beat them. Um, my deepest wish in this whole wide world is that Masakita Mia wins. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, that's true. I want to see Masa. I really do. I think it would just be an incredible moment. You get a guy that like people aren't really looking at as an I am Noah character, even though he is, he is Noah, and he's a piece of of this new scenery that they were trying to build in 2016, 2017 after um, Suzuki-gun left. Like he's a piece of this. Um, but of course we go all the way back to what I what we were all you know yelling about with his booking. It's, it's just dreadful. Um, so they could feasibly, if they really got their stuff together, we could get this incredible moment of Masa just being like, you know, I'm that guy and I've been that guy and now you're going to pay attention to me and he could win the end one like I just have so many dreams that might not happen but you know Noah likes their shock value so <laughs> I think a lot of people would be shocked uh whoever's booking Noah listen um but no for real I, I think there's um a lot of good things we could do with this rain as far as like elevating because whoever's going to beat him it's going to be a big I am Noah moment and Shiyazaki's already had his I am Noah moment so I don't really necessarily want to see that right now but We'll see. We will see. Um, on that note, I don't really want to see Keno challenge. I think Keno's got too much going on right now. So um, I think it's actually more compelling that he that he doesn't and he just uh, leaves Jake to to do what he does because Keno's a very like thinking individual and I think he sees what what's going on with Jake and the story he's telling and um, and respects that it's just a very interesting thing and a very interesting side how you can still tell this story of what's going on with I am Noah without you know actually challenging like it's very compelling to me so that's my piece on that one so to wrap things up we also have some listener questions um Henry asks uh what are your thoughts on um Katsuhiko Nakajima following Jake Lee's path and becoming a clean-shaven guy. Uh, well, I don't. I wouldn't even say it's Jake's path. I would say it's more like the the path of Sonata, um, mm. since Sonata is keeping that look right now. Jake, I think, literally shaved his face for the championship photos and then just grew it back because it's haven't been a problem since. Um. He looks weird. I think they get to a point where like they get older and then when they shave again, they they don't look like how they did when they were younger because Jake was unrecognizable and he he didn't have facial hair for years and he looked normal. But then he shaved it all and it was like, I don't even know who the fuck you are. It's so weird. It was weird to look at him. So I'm glad that he just grew it back in. Really super weird. I feel the same way about Sonata. It's been so like, I can't look at you now like without your like your beard. It was weird to see him live without a with, like, like clean shave. I didn't like it. Nakajima looks weird. He does not look like how he did when he was younger. He just looks like um, a doppelganger of himself. It's just, it's, it's odd. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at with all of it. Yeah. All I'm going to say is that to me, Nakajima's current style is like, well, I guess we just saw him turn baby face ish, but his current like heelish style is like current violent style. Like to me, so much of it is 
in the mustache. <laughs> really, all started with the mustache. Like, yeah, it, I know you're right. It, it to me, once you take that out, it's it it just feels wrong. Like, so I don't know. It's it feels wrong, just wrong. The evil is stored in the mustache. No, I, right. I yeah, you just he keeps it in there, and now now it has no place to go. No, I agree. I I hate it. I hate it so much. I just want I just want it back. Um, he wrote access on his wrist tape. It's like pick a struggle, pick one weird <laughs> thing to do. Don't do two weird things. Strange. The whole thing is strange. Oh uh, well, yeah. All right. He has another um, question. Henry does. And that's favorite Noah entrances from this year. Um, bonus points if it was from a certain show, but it can be someone's entrance in general as well. My personal answer, I was I was really stewing on this, and it, it's a really like a weird hyper specific one. Um, I really liked Jake's entrance when he went to go win the belt off of Kaito, clean shaven face aside. Um, I thought he looked really cool. We have this moment, and this is one of the reasons I like it so much, is you have this really cool moment with um, Tadasuke and Yohei coming out um, as GLG for the first time, and he's flanked by all four of them, and he's in, you know, his his gear, he looks like a dark prince, and it's like, oh yeah, he's winning this. Like, you, you just see this champion with these four good-looking guys coming in and they're all looking really confident and Tadasuke is like super excited to be there and Yohei is like really smug. They all look a little bit sleazy and then Jake looks like glowing with just this beautiful dark aura. And it's it's en it's enchanting. I really, really like that entrance. So that's my answer. I think all the Jake Lee entrances for his title matches have been pretty special, but this one even more than the others for the reasons that Rachel mentioned, uh, the GLG reveal. Uh, so I'm going to go with uh, that one as well. Yeah, I can't go with anything else. Like, I think I would have said GLG just in general, like how they come out like together all the times, because like GLG have been such a joy to watch, like come together. And like, I did not think I was going to love Anthony Green. I love Anthony Green. I'm okay. so <laughs> obsessed with him. He is so funny. Um, so yeah, I just, yeah, I just love, um, I love that stuff. So yeah, I, but I would say like that entrance in particular for Jake was, um, was pretty great. I also like, and I love that now, um, the people on Twitter who tried to like lie and say that like no one reacted to Jake in the Budokan when he like debuted for Noah, like all those people are in the mud now because like Jake gets reactions all the time. He got reactions then he gets reactions now. But um, I, I'll say still, like, I think the the pictures, especially like, of that moment with him, like on the ramp with the Noah logo behind him at the Budokan, like that looked amazing. So like that's, that's gets a nod from me as well. Good answer. Really good answer. All right. The Swari asks, how do you see this all Japan tag title situation going? Does Kono kickstart bringing back the all Japan titles back home? He wants to fight me. He wants he wants to fight all of us because I think I think yeah. these, are, these are fighting words. Um, to sorry, but um, yeah. What what are your thoughts on that one? We actually discussed this before yeah. taping, and I'm just going to repeat what I said. Knowing Suwama and how Suwama thinks. Suwama positioning himself as the guy who brings back the tag team championship to all Japan sounds like a very Suwama thing to do. Um, 
I think it's happening. Yeah. And Kono is involved, which is a shame, but uh, it's happening. Yep. Mm, Alicia. I'm still like really holding out hope that something much cooler is going to happen, even though Lou is probably right. The only thing I think is like really in um, like Congo's favor is that Congo would have to lose on a Noah show. Not that that can't be done. It's just that I like I feel like I feel like Congo can still pull this off. And, just, and like ugh, fucking Kono, like what a lackluster way to like because like Suwama, like you should put him in front of Noah Krauts, like he's great. Um, and when he went over there to torture like Keno and all that, he looked great. I loved his little outfit. He looked awesome. He looked like how he looks when he rides his little motorcycle. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's really great. But like you bring over the most like shit partner possible when we're trying to make all Japan look good. It just is a shame. But um, no, I think that I think it's that Lou is probably right. But I'm still holding out hope that uh, Congo retains and we get something cooler like Axis versus Congo for the belts to get axis in front of a pissed kento yeah i think that would be the most um exciting storyline just i mean as us being you know diamond ring connoisseurs but even um just in general of kento you know standing up you have these foreigners who defend the belt against other foreigners and then kento's just mad about it and then of course you bring in the history that kento has with both members of axis and it's just really really compelling and that would be the absolute ideal um i do worry that swama will win just for the reasons you've mentioned i um worry that ken was sort of setting that up um his youtube channel he talks about that match all, all the time and i I don't want to read too much into it because Keno just might really like Suwama. I think those two just really like each other, but they're, they, they, they vibe in a lot of different ways, but um, they're really, really building this match and building this rivalry. And it just feels like they're setting up Suwama to pin Keno, which I just don't love. And um, yeah, so we'll see. Um, but that's, that's my answer on that one. Uh, our next uh, set of questions are from Andre. They're really fantastic. How does Jake Lee factor into the question of acehood in Noah? And I love this question because it brings together everything we've been talking about. So Lou, what are your thoughts? That's a really good question. Um, I would say that the way they've been booking Jake, how he factors in right now is that, and that's of course, I'm I'm speculating here. If Jake doesn't leave Noah to go somewhere else and after because he's a he's technically a freelancer right mm -hmm. but um if he sticks around the, the way they've been booking him and the way he's been wrestling they have a new like ace level guy on the roster now not that i don't think jake is ever going to be a full noah ace but he's in that range where he feels like an ace ish level guy like he's been wrestling previous aces and uh it feels right it just feels right for all the reasons we mentioned so yeah i don't think he's going to be the ultimate face of noah but just the fact that now they have this guy to freshen things up and sort of change up the main event scene is pretty great i think it's a really fun change of pace and it just feels uh, right, just feels right. 
This is such an interesting question because Astum in Noah is really complicated. It's not as complicated in other promotions. It's always complicated in Noah because they have to work across three different generations, like all of which have had issues. Um, issues is putting it mildly. But I think with like real Noah and that generation, like they've perhaps maybe moved on from like traditional ace roles. So there's like opportunity there anyway. Like Marafuji is a symbol. He's not really an ace. He's been in that role for a really long time anyway. Um, but his path to being an ace was like, really affected by like what was happening in that promotion for years and like affected by the industry sugira same boat um sugira even now is not like he's really not a traditional ace within noah like they they almost like missed the boat quote unquote on all of that because of like the like the fraught history of the company and their careers really like you know peaking during like a shit time for the industry so there's that complicated nature the middle gen slew of issues it's like shiazaki katsuhiko keno um guys like that slew of problems there like shio it took shio until like wasn't until his fourth reign that like he really like hit a fucking stride like it's like he was like 39 <laughs> years old um so there's like there's there's problems you know there's there's issues there and then like the younger gen like it's like it's kaito it's inamura like there's there's a shitload of issues there too um so you have all these people in Noah that mean all different things and have different roles. I think that if you were to like, to, like pick two people right now who are like you would consider like the young ace and the old ace of Noah, right? Like it, like in my mind, like you're you're picking Kaito and probably Shio, right? If Shio is is well, and even that is 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 hard sometimes, right? So when I think about Jake, um, I think that like Lou, like, um if he stays and this continues to go the way that it's going, you have another built in main event guy who you could instantly like, you know, rocket to the top and just start like throwing a belt on doing stuff with. I mean, like he, he's showing that he understands his company. He can thrive in this company. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't be working really hard to, to put a contract on him if that's what he wanted. It might, it's just might not be what he wants. So yeah, I think ASTEM is really hard for, it's really hard to use that um, that framing. But if you go back to like what um, he was talking about with Mara Fuji, um, the exact quote was, even now, Noah equals Mara Fuji. I want to sweep away this image. He wants someone other than him to steer the ship. He said if he's rotten, he is who he is. These words are everything. So clearly this is something that is in Jake's mind, that like he could be the person that's at the helm of Noah steering the ship and that, Marafuji wants other people to step up and be the ones to um to steer the ship when he is not going to be um in the position that he's in right now, right? And Jake could be one of many guys. And that's why Astem is always a really weird, nuanced like question and conversation at Noah, because again, you're working across three generations, all of which have their own issues. So long answer, but it's complicated. However, Jake does fit that sort of main event archetype that we are looking for in Noah. I think it comes down to what we said in our first I am Noah episode is they're they're all Noah. <laughs> like it, there is no question of one I am Noah, which would be your theoretical ace, right? There, that can't happen in Noah because of everything you said. So um, that really boils down to is Jake Lee Noah. And that's a complicated question, but he is answering it through this rain. And I think that's really, really, really incredible. 
So our next question from Andre also ties into Jake Lee, his character and his story. And that's, does his frustration with all Japan motivate his drive in the house that Baba's children built? Very, very interesting and heavy question. Yeah, I think we touched on that earlier. Uh, Alicia mentioned that Jake really couldn't afford to fail in in this title run. So he must feel some kind of pressure. And so far, he's for me, he's delivering on all fronts. Um, so, yeah, that's my sort of bad answer to this question. <laughs> oh, come on. That's not a bad answer. Yeah, I think absolutely. He... When he left all Japan and he was talking about, you know, why he was, he was very vague. Like he's, he really has not said all that much about the specific reasons why he was leaving other than um, he, he has hinted around issues with the 50th anniversary. Specifically, I think um, when he was like uh, in some of his final comments, like on the mic, when he, uh, during his final match, uh, he talks about, the Budokan, specifically his match with uh, Naya Nomura, that match being an issue with him. Um, so, yes, I think that his frustrations with All Japan absolutely um, have motivated him. Um, he's someone who has, like, referenced many times in his career, like, like I only live once, like, I, you know, I don't want to die with regrets. Like, these are things that are, like, per- personally motivating for him. Um, he's referenced before, like, um, Baba and then via, like, Jumbo Saruta, like, life is a challenge. Like, like, Jake, like, really, like, internalizes these things and he believes them. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think that, like, his, he had a really fucking terrible 2022. Like, we didn't even get into all of it when we were doing, um, the Next Dream Part 1, uh, episode. Like, there were so many, like, things that just happened to him in, in that year. And then there's so many things that we don't know that happened to him in that year that, like, were, that just set him up to have a, a terrible year. And I think absolutely, like, you know, our, were the motivating factors in making this tremendously difficult career decision that could have backfired. Um, again, like before, like, there, the margin of error here for him, um, the slimmest it could ever be for anybody. He could not fail. He could not fail at this level. Again, not so that you guys could say fucking stupid things on Twitter, but because from an industry perspective, um, a move like this and then failing could could really kill your career. Like, so he, he could not fail. Um, that being said, um, it's not just, I think, a frustration with all Japan, though. This goes back to something that he said that was really important in one of his um, his um interviews that he did it was in the nakajima one um when they were talking about like how he was feeling and um i'm just gonna read it we read it in the um the one that we did for next stream as well but he said that he was feeling excited um but i feel nervous and curious many mixed feelings i act in a way that makes me seem pompous but i actually have a lot of different feelings every day well i guess this is my way of surviving originally i wasn't so strong and I didn't have a special skill, so I needed to think more than anybody. If I'm satisfied, I'm able to do nothing, even what I said. So I'm always driven by my anxiety. I often ask myself, are you okay with who you are? I think that sums up like everything that is driving um, Jake Lee at this venture is his anxieties about himself and if he's happy with who he is and state of his life. And so, um, yeah, I think the I think the year that he had and, you know, some of the stuff coming off of all Japan, absolutely. But, um, you know, he thinks very, very hard about the type of person that he is. And I think that stuff is, is inherently motivating him as well. 
I, I really have nothing to add there. I think that's exactly it. Um, and just beautifully said. So we will go ahead and close things off. Thank you so much for joining us. Lou, I'm glad that you got to sit down and talk about Noah. Um, if you could go ahead, Lou, tell us once again where people can find you. And uh, yeah, any closing thoughts you wanted to add? Sure. I'm on Twitter at Captain Lou Japan. And uh, as always, you can read my wrestling reviews on happywrestlingland.com. Thanks so much for inviting me again. Always enjoy discussing wrestling with you guys. Thank you so much, Lou, for um, coming on with us. We know this was a long one, but we appreciate you hanging in there and sharing your thoughts with us and everyone listening. You can find me, Alicia, at Sharanui Kai with two eyes. Me and Rachel at Kickout299. Please um, subscribe to Kickout on the podcast platform that you listen to. That would be great. Leave us a review um, and five stars as well. That would be really, really helpful for us so people can find us. That would be great. Thank you guys so much.